This week on Out Now with Internet, we are talking Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Do you realize we've been talking about Guardians films for over a decade? We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe! Hello, Aaron. How are you? I, I'm doing pretty well. It's, a, it's an exciting week for me. Yeah. I, I wow. get older. You get older. That's right. It is your birthday day tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, happy early birthday. As usual, we get a we get a Marvel movie to celebrate me. That's how it works. That's, yeah. uh... <laughs> that's the that's contract each time with Kevin Feige. It is. I signed it with him, and I signed it with Avi Arad, and one of us won. Um, so, <laughs> Abe, how are you doing? I'm doing well. The sun was shining today. It was a beautiful day. It, it it's been nice. It has been. Yeah, summer has been uh, so good so far, and summer you know, movies everything's season. green because it rains so much during the winter time here in California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's just great all around. Well, it is great all around because summer movie season has begun here. Mm-hmm. Out now is a film podcast. We're able to discuss new movies weekly. Uh, we dig into movies being most important for your review. The occasional commentary track or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 532. 532. Wow, that's a great day to go into the galaxy. Exactly. And for this week, we are kicking off the summer movie season with Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Wow. The third entry in Marvel's Guardians series set within the MCU. It's like, what, the 32nd film in the MCU? It's a big number. Everybody's back. I lost back. track a long time ago. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Everybody's back. Uh, James Gunn and Howard the Duck both back. So, like, every, everything you wanted a Guardians movie is in this thing, apparently. Mm-hmm. And it, we'll talk all about it and more. Uh, but joining us to discuss Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, we have, from the rap, he may like cats, but he's a bad dog. It's Scott Mendelson. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hello, Scott. Glad to have you here, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I, yeah. I apparently incurred cuts on my hand during today's family adventure since oh, no. I used Purell and ah! This sounds <laughs> horrific, like a horror movie. I hope that you're writing one soon. Is this the oh, sequel no, no, to no, The Ruins? <laughs> oh, God. There's a film I haven't thought about. You guys were in Mexico, that, Scott? <laughs> that came out on my birthday back in 2008. Give or take. Look at let's that. Just, Look at us just making connections. Let's just throw it right out there. The Ruins rocks. That's oh, yes. It's very good. good. Yeah. And from the writer, the, the book that it's based on is from the same writer as a, as a, a simple plan. Yes, which is also awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it's a Red Hour production, as in Ben Stiller produced the Ruins. Guys, this is the Ruins podcast now. We're talking about the Ruins. <laughs> Commentary track. I believe what Sean Ashmore from X Men movies. That's Speaking right. Which uh, let's, lead into, our, let's yeah. lead into our let's lead into our show notes here. And first up, commentary tracks. You I was like, like how's the segue? <laughs> into oh, oh, it's coming. You like them. We like them. And guess what? Another one's coming this month, as we do every month. And this is also the, not only is it the kickoff of our of of the uh, the summer movie gamble. Um, where we, what many of us predicted Guardians to make some money to help us it out in that scenario. <laughs> uh, not, not, not only is it the start of the summer at ninety three at thirty, which features both Scott and I, hey. along with Brandon Peters, friend of the show. Friend of the show. Uh, but it's also the kickoff of superhero summer um, in regards to our commentary tracks, because that is our theme for the next several months. Doing these commentary tracks, we're going to talk about superhero movies uh, in honor of their varying How anniversaries. Original. 
And this coming month, or this month, we're in May now, uh, we're going to be talking X2, colon, X-Men United, starring Sean Ashmore and Hugh Jackman, both of them in equal measure. Hey, um, the good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we like most of the X-Men movies. We do, we do. But <laughs> yes, we will be talking about X2, X-Men United for a commentary track. That should be a lot of fun. Um, regardless of which directors are involved with what movies these days. But um, and what a series as far as the directors involved in the X-Men movies go. But um, <laughs> um but that is our plan here, so we'll do that. And you can find that commentary track, all the other commentaries, and all the other episodes of this show over on iTunes. You can search our show for out. You can search out and out there in name. You can find it. You can find all those episodes, and then you can click on the old reviews ratings tab and give us a rating interview, which would be great. Thank you so much in advance, and don't forget Spotify. Yeah, Spotify also a place where you can do reviews as well. Just click five stars. That's it. So yeah, um, all of that's going on. The summer movie gamble has kicked off. Scott, what did Guardians make in its opening weekend here? Hundred and fourteen domestic, two eighty two worldwide. Um, not great obviously this is all on a curve here mm-hmm. and i mean look i mean it's guardians it's one of those franchises that even people that are hopped off the marvel train after endgame might still otherwise be interested in it has a fan base that people who are interested regardless of whether they care about the mcu and the abstract and yet it opened 25 percent less than the second film it probably sold about as many tickets as the first film back in 2014 it made 71 million less on opening weekend than uh, dr strange 2 um and it's doing okay in china might actually get to 75 in china which isn't bad by today's standards but i mean it's looking like it's gonna end up closer to it's gonna be closer to 600 than 800 world now that could mean it gets to 700 and i'm wrong by like a dollar but you know it's it's not gonna it's not gonna soar to infinity and beyond Mm -hmm. the film is without getting into details i don't know about legs because the film has good reviews it has good word of mouth um but films the big marvel movies that open in may tend to be more front-loaded than the other ones now the one exception recently was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So there is still hope. But I feel confident in not putting it number one in my list this year. Well, that puts Abe and I and several others (laughs) in in these summer movie games. It puts our our back to the corner as we hope that Little Mermaid and Indiana Jones make less money (laughs) than many others expect it to. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Um, we're at. I mean, I'm I'm retroactively putting Top Gun at number one just because I fucked up so badly last year. Mm-hmm. So you're bet you're betting big on Cruise. Yes, you're. A I am. I am. Yeah. I right. think Mission. I mean, you know, we'll see. But Mission Impossible. Spoiler: Mission Impossible is my number one pick for the summer. It's not a spoiler. Right, that I episode think it's came the out. One sequel <laughs> that's going to substantial. Well, one of two sequels that's going to substantially increase from the last installment. Like I picked, we don't need to do too much summer gamble talk, but I, nope. I picked Guardians, but I, I'm certainly sitting here being like, what if Spider-Man just took it all? Like, uh, I'd be very happy. I think I put Spider-Man at two. You put it, yeah, you did put it at two. Two or three between Guardians, one of those. So that's that's top three, regardless yeah. of the order. Well, we again, have... I, I don't think it's going to make a gajillion dollars, but I do think it's going to make substantially more than the first one. Well, we have plenty of time for this summer to go over the varying stats on Summer Movie Gamble. And picking number one certainly doesn't designate who's going to win the Summer Movie Gamble, as we found out many times on the show. Long <laughs> season. So, yeah. uh, so hey, I mean, for one thing, number 10, just as valuable a position. Um, but with all that said... points. Did I put Mega 10? Yes, you did. Sure did. Yeah. 
which globally, I mean, hell, I mean, you know, globally, it may end up awfully close to number one, just if it you plays like a Chinese movie in China. You're really betting big on Wu Jing. Like, I really <laughs> am. Too bad we're doing domestic, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon really wants to hold on to his title as global champion. So. <laughs> that was like the summer of 2020, I think we did that. Summer 2021. Because okay. there was no summer 2020. Exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, I, I picked Tenet for number one in 2020, and I was yeah, right. You, yeah, you nailed, I it. Boom, yeah. nailed it. <laughs> It's kind of, and then like what it was, the relic, it was that and uh, the relic and fighting with my family. Whatever the fuck the Robert De Niro movie was, War with Grandpa. War with Grandpa. Oh, <laughs> no, uh, no, it's called the War, no, with, the Grandpa. War with Grandpa. Yeah. With the, it's I, like no, no, now we know what you're talking. He's about. played a lot of grandpas. He has. Yes, he actually has. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna play another one coming up. He's, yeah, he's doing yeah. another one. <laughs> yeah, it's like Cruise Grandpa, I believe, is the title of that movie. I know that's um, not the title. It should be though. Um, all right. Past the summer Campbell talk. Let's get to some out note. Let's get to some out note quickness. Trademark. Each one that we want to do that all week. Trademark. Pretty good. I snuck it in. You <laughs> snuck it in. I snuck in that second quickies. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right. Uh, Abe, what have yes. you seen recently? I watched the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Christmas special, which I had not seen before. Which the holiday like special, Abe. Holiday special, I apologize. <laughs> um, in the in the actual thing, they call it Christmas, Aaron. Um, I'm but, going uh, by the actual title, as we stress on these show, including colons and whatnot. I get <laughs> it. But um, I was watching the trailer, I was watching the credits for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and I was like, why is Kevin Bacon in here? And after watching the holiday special... Makes a lot more sense now. Oh, so, so you didn't you didn't watch it when it came out? I did not watch it when it came out. I, I, Do you I think I like that Marvel episode. Abe. Yeah, <laughs> it was a long time ago, and I was like, well, you know, it's probably just some extra stuff that's going to be funny and and uh, full of hijinks. And here it comes, just like making its way into the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. But I watched it. It's it's nice, you know, pretty short, pretty uh, pretty compact. It explains a few things, but also it's just very much more of a of a of Mantis and. Uh, of our big boy uh, <laughs> big boy tracks and it's fun to see them uh playing off each other so For that's sure. the only thing i've seen this week that's the only thing you saw aside from all these sports things that we that we don't talk about on the show oh. <laughs> well you are you talking about it in sub 640 this week <laughs> no we're, that shows uh it's in, it's in the archives <laughs> Might might come back, you know, and everything's always being. I, I would humor like an extra bonus hour of I'm just like listening to you talk about sports, and I chime in as I need to. <laughs> That's a fun. That sounds like a fun night's experiment. Bill and Marty on Bill and Marty. Yeah, sports talk. <laughs> well, Aaron, <laughs> I pretend to be even more naive than I am about it. So what's passing? <laughs> well, you see, no, but yeah, um, that's all that I've I've been checking out this week. So right. it's kind of been slow for me. Scott, how about you? What have you seen recently? Um. I've been catching up just randomly on a whim with old Jackie Chan movies that I had never seen. Awesome. Good. Or ones that I just haven't seen since, you know, they first came out in theaters and whatever. Because obviously Criterion has Police Story 1, 2, and 3, plus some older ones that are way back in the day. And then, of course, pretty much every Jackie Chan non-American picture can be found on, like, Tubi or one one of the streaming sites for free if you subscribe to or can access that site. And for those um, that uh, are into physical media, 80, between 88 films and Shout Factory, they've been releasing a lot of Jackie oh, yeah. recently, which wow. is great. Um, So which that's one? been fun. I mean, pretty much, uh, yeah. we're watching, one? we watched the second season of Schmigadoon, whatever the fuck that show's called. Schmigadoon? Yeah. 
Chicago. <laughs> yes, Chicago. That's actually easier, which I liked a lot. I liked it. I mean, you know, maybe just because it's a it's an era of musicals that I'm more fond of, but I enjoyed the second season more than the first. That's what I thought it was more narratively disciplined. Um, but it's it's very cute. Uh, I'd love to watch another one, but you know, whatever. Um, Jury Duty is fun. We're slowly yes. making our way through that. Yeah, I'm free. That is a weird little show on Amazon Freevee, or the hell they call it. I watched the first Where... of that, and I'm I'm really enjoying. I I I haven't gotten far farther, but I'm really enjoying what I like. That kind of I feel like the the Joe Schmo show used to be was like yes. Uh, this is very much um, my speed. We just watched the first two episodes. I figured mm-hmm. there's only eight, so there's no rush. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 really clever. Yeah. Um. Uh, my seven-year-old on a whim decided to watch Aquaman today, so that movie still fucking rocks. <laughs> uh, I was literally watching Aquaman when the MTV Movie Awards dropped a scene of. It was hard to make out. I think it was it's a Kiss the Girl, right? Oh, yeah, but it was. It's basically like a black screen, and and <laughs> you know with some clouds. I, I mm-hmm. with some fog. I think I went by the Game of Thrones clip. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but anyway. Um, when that movie gets like 65% Rod Tomatoes and $500 million at the box office, <laughs> you feel really silly. That's entirely out of our hands. <laughs> All I know is that, you know, as much as Aladdin surprised us, that movie had colors. Well, it wasn't set under the sea, so that helps too. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, and yeah, from what little we saw at CinemaCon of Aquaman 2, that one is also going to be colorful as hell. Great. So, yay. Yeah, I'm glad. All right. Well, I've watched movies for this movie podcast. How week, dare so. you? Oh, how dare you one up us? Kiss ass. <laughs> so yeah. I've seen a few things. First up is uh, I Black... watched several Jackie Chan movies. Yes, yeah, you did. I'm not. I'm... <laughs> and once he watches all eight episodes of of Jury Duty, he's gonna watch like ten movies. Oh, and I I I caught up with uh, well we 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 watched Dungeons and Dragons last week. Anyway, whatever. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, you watched the movie you saw already. Yeah, great job. Um, yeah, go fuck yourself. Mm, excuse me. <laughs> We're gonna amplify that one a lot. <laughs> I've known you for like thirteen years. It's allowed. <laughs> I, I I saw Blackberry, um, which oh, comes out yeah, yeah. next week at the time of this recording. This is with uh, Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howerton. It's the story of the Blackberry. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie's great. <laughs> um, wow. It's, okay. it's as good as Air, and we liked Air quite a bit. Um, I, I, between this air and Tetris, I'm like really happy with the movies about corporations that have to do things to exist, uh, trend that we have going on here. Uh, this one surprisingly, because the Canadian film has more edge to it. Um, uh, I, I like the story it's telling. It has, it has this kind of tragic comic vibe where it certainly has its share of comedy. Like it's more ostensibly a comedy, but it's, you know, it's still following a true story. So it's, it has to cater to certain like, aspects of what happened with the blackberry and what i found interesting about it is that you know that this period of time is going to end like where blackberry was super successful it's like well the iphone's gonna happen like we know this and so it's it doesn't play it like a ticking clock but there is this kind of like segment in your mind where you're like i know this like nothing's going to last here because it's a blackberry no one uses blackberries now so it's like what's gonna happen but getting sure. to that point I think Baruchel's very good here. I think Glenn Howerton's really good here, um, playing this kind of blowhard uh, guy that just, like, he sees how to market this phone and 
he has this chip on his shoulder about wanting to like find success and doing whatever, whatever it takes. And if whether or not you watch it's always sunny in Philadelphia, I think Howard didn't like knows what to do with this kind of role and make it work where he's full of like rage, but it's never unlikable, which is, I don't think an easy thing to accomplish, but uh, it's a good movie and filmed really well too. It has this interesting like docudrama style to it as far as it's not, uh, like I think, like the like the Big Short was filmed that way too, where it has this kind of like you're you're in the scene kind of sure. camera angles and whatnot that I think yeah. works well for it. Any so fourth good. wall breaking that they do? No, no, none of that. It's not it's not like so like self aware in that kind of way. But it's presented very straightforward. It just has yeah. inherent humor in it because a bunch of geeks came up with a BlackBerry, so they play into that a little bit. But it's not yeah. like winking at you or going too broad. It it does what it needs to do. It's really good. Cool. Um, I watched Peter Pan and Wendy. Ah, yeah. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, from, from the show, uh, David Lowry. Made David Lowry, yeah, who we all appreciated for uh, uh, Peach Dragon, as far as his for family friendly fare goes. And then, of course, Green the Green Knight came out, which rocks among other one of things the best movies of that year. Yeah, among other things that he's directed, I, I like David Lowry quite a bit. So I was in, I was intrigued by what his Peter Pan movie would be. I'm not going to say it's amazing, but I do like it more than many of the de- recent Disney um, remakes that have come along. Okay. Um, it certainly feels like a David Lowry film that happens to be using Peter Pan as the kind of template here. I think Jude Law uh, is quite effective in this. You know, if we saw like the epitome of over the top hook um, with Hugh Jackman uh-huh. and Dustin Hoffman, this goes a different direction, which I'm just happy to see because, hey, we've seen that version of Hook a number of times already mm-hmm. in bad movies. Um, so like, <laughs> now getting this other version, it's like, oh, OK, I'm into this. And like the the whole vibe of it is it's. I don't want to say dour, but it certainly had, you know, if you remember David Lowry films, they're not exactly say, super. He's got David Lowry sensibilities. They're not super upbeat either. Yeah. <laughs> so like it, yeah. I think it it has the right head on its shoulders. I wouldn't say it's That's like a one good where, Green Knight joke. It, <laughs> um, I wouldn't say it's one where like, I can't wait to revisit this again. But in the realm of these movies, I, I'd put this one ahead of others that have okay. come along. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a solid picture. I don't think it's as good as Beast Dragon, but yeah. I think that's a generational classic frankly um and i don't think it's as good as the 2003 peter pan but i think it's a, it's it's up there yeah, yeah um, for a movie that's been done a lot yeah, yeah. at least a, at least a good one <laughs> yeah i wonder what the track record is are they doing like one every like eight years <laughs> sooner than that they <laughs> love losing okay. money on peter pan movies oh. <laughs> if, it's, if it's peter pan or robin hood yeah uh, like, or pinocchio well, it's it's surprising we haven't got another Tarzan Pinocchio yet. <laughs> and uh, Peter Pan are these two iconic properties that the only one that can make them go, uh, somewhat profitable is Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, Man, that guy's going places. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a good head on his shoulders. Yeah, so gotta... <laughs> <laughs> We're back. Um, I watched Broken Lizards Quasi. Oh, yes. OK. Oh. Hulu. This is on Hulu. Yeah, it's from the gang that did like Super Troopers and Club Dread and Beer Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, I generally like these guys, but the thing I've observed about them, as far as my appreciation for their movies goes, I don't think any of their movies are like knockouts. I like these guys. I like a lot of what they're doing, but like even Super Troopers, which is like their most iconic film, is one where I'm like, I like it, but I'm not like over the moon for it. Can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So it's like, I have nothing against them. I just, I feel like you have to be like right in their wheelhouse as far as if you want to like really like connect with everything they're doing. So quasi- I don't think it's too much different. I think it lands just enough gags where I was like, this is a good time. I can't say it's a new comedy classic. I can't say it's amazing. But as far as hey, I spent 90 minutes watching 
a send up of medieval times and the Quasimodo story and what have you. It's like, that's eh, fine. It does the job. Yeah. So I can see why it went to streaming, but many comedies do these days, which is its own thing. Um, yeah. So that's uh that's it. Quickies. Trademark. Okay. Let's get into trailer talk. We got to, we talk about some new trailers of the week. When were they coming out? What we thought of them, what have you. We got We got a couple big wings. Uh, this both November releases, no less. Wow. Uh, first up, we're talking The Marvels. This is the sequel to Captain Marvel and an extension of the, well, of, I guess, Monica Rambo's role in from uh, WandaVision and from Kamala Khan's uh, story in Miss Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, combined now with, of course, Brie, Brie, Brie Larson's Carol Danvers. So we have all the Marvels together in some kind of elaborate cosmic story where all their powers get mixed up and what have you. And enough time for Sam Jackson to be like, what's going on here? Um, so <laughs> with all that in mind. <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? Uh, Scott, I'm curious. What's what's your interest level in the Marvels? I think this looks like a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, I it appeals for, to me just because it's, oh, they're doing, again, it, it feels more genre specific than the last few titles in that it feels like, what if Marvel did a body swap comedy from the 80s? Mm-hmm. And like, oh, okay, that, that, that's a reason for this movie to exist. Other than, I guess we need to make a sequel to Captain Marvel. Um, I thought Miss Marvel was fine. Um, it didn't. I mean, again, it's it's basically a, a Disney Channel show in the Marvel universe, and that's fine. Um, I think it will be fun to watch Brie Larson actually get to play Captain Marvel as herself, as opposed to whatever the brainwashed version was that she was in most of her of her own movie. Um, you could say the same thing about you know Jeremy Renner and Avengers, but it's still you know something to consider. Um, I liked Little Woods, so I'm hoping that Nia DaCosta did was done well by Marvel. Candyman didn't do much for me, but I'm in the minority and whatever. It's not the end of the world. You'd still say that her direction in that movie was at least worth. Yeah, yeah, it was well directed. Pretty good, honestly. Yeah, that's, that's. I just thought it was the writing was weird. Anyway, whatever. It's mm-hmm. Two years ago. Um, and I mean, I, I, I see a lot of, you know, it, I think it looks fine. And again, I'm trying to come at a point from not judging these films as the paramount of pop culture importance that they seem to have been placed upon the last several years. Some of that is their fault. Some of it is not, Mm -hmm. but I think just as, does this look like a fun superhero action comedy with three bubbly charismatic women kicking ass and Sam Jackson rolling his eyes and being befuddled. That's entertainment to me. And the fact that goose is back. Yay. Yeah. There seem to be many gooses better. Yay. <laughs> um, that's one way to replace Jonathan majors. If it comes to that, <clears throat> excuse me. Does that all um, the cats? Yeah. Yeah. All <laughs> the cats are Kings. Um, I can see them doing that. All the, all the Florgans. Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, if they could retroactively do that in Ant-Man and the Wasp, but one mini, it'd be a good movie. I mean, um, there's that whole scene where there's a ton of Ant-Mans just turning into a bunch of cats. And exactly. <laughs> but no, I mean, it looks like a lot of fun. And regardless of, of how it will play in November in terms of Marvel's potential declining overall popularity and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It looks like a lot of fun. And I think it's it's probably my favorite Marvel, Marvel trailer in a while to be honest don't jinx it scott you the, the good ones are the movies that suck for you shit you're right <laughs> well but after ant-man i, I don't know anymore <laughs> all right hey um yeah where are you with the marvels 
I think Scott hit it on the head here. I think that the word fun is also what I thought of. Uh, I'm a big fan of Nia DaCosta and what she's done with her writing, but also her directing. Writing, maybe less so, but yeah, the, the right directing, I thought that Candyman was very well directed. Um, and I'm curious to see, I guess, the continuation of how it goes. Yes, I am fatigued. I personally am fatigued with a lot of the MCU and the extended MCU and, and the television series and what have you. But I... I will go and check this out mostly just because if it gives more money to people that have like severely downvoted this just because it has three women and two of them are um, uh, people of color, people of color, then yeah, you know, uh, there, there's my vote. Yeah, wait to see the IMDB user score. I mean, it, they probably already bobbed it already, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but you know, I, I am curious to see just how uh, we could pick up on phase five, I guess of the MCU. Yeah, I'm not too far off from you guys. I, I do think um, hiring DaCosta on once again, I hope for the best as far as, hey, here's someone that seems to have a distinct vision. Let's hope that doesn't get kind of knocked down by sake of fitting into the you know the, the realm of this franchise. At the same time, I mean, you throw Beastie Boys onto a soundtrack for a trailer, <laughs> you, you won, you've won me over. <laughs> That's not really <laughs> a, hard, a hard sell on me. I do think I, I I would go a little bit higher than Scott as far as Miss Marvel's concerned. I think that's one of the the best Marvel TV shows that's come along. I think it does the job well and establishes Kamala Khan quite effectively in the universe. Uh, and you know, I think WandaVision is still the top of the chain as far as these TV shows go, which have largely been whatever some aside. Um, and like the only the only downvote I have is is honestly the movie Captain Marvel, which is like entirely fine but not yeah. very high up in my marvel ranking so it's like well two yeah. out of three right. and it's certainly not the fault of the people involved in said movies so like put all these people together into a splashy marvel movie that hopefully emphasizes like the comedic aspect of having these people work as a team i mean the way that marvel movies tend to do i i don't know what the stakes are going to be in something like this but given that it involves multiple people that are all involved with captain marvel I'm sure the galaxy will be threatened in some way. So I just hope for the best as far as having a fun time with this, as opposed to wondering how much this will connect to like the grand scheme of things in the realm of Marvel or whatnot. Uh, Ideally just uh, works as a bit of fun. So that's where I'm at with the Marvels. Awesome. I think my, my two favorite of the Disney shows are probably Hawkeye, just because it, to me, it felt like a really good eighties, late eighties, early nineties superhero show from like Danny Bilson or something like that. And uh, She-Hulk, I really enjoyed. Oh yeah, She-Hulk, I think is the best as far as we made a TV show. Yeah, it's like not, God, a, movie, not a movie split I, into parts. We made for a TV twenty episodes show. of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, the Marvels arrives in theaters November tenth, twenty twenty three. All right. <clears throat> Our other trailer we have is for Dune colon Part Two, the second half of the Frank Herbert Dune story. Um, first delivered, of course, by director Denny Villeneuve. Uh, that film went on to be quite the success as far as, hey, it managed to make money during a certain time period. And hey, it scored a ton of Oscar nominations, let alone wins. And wins. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this film brings back the entire cast. Well, except for, I guess, Jason Momoa. Uh, but everybody else. Oh. <laughs> you got Chalamet. Zendaya, Ferguson, Brolin. But now you have Austin Butler out of the cast. Florence Pugh's out of the cast. Uh, Christopher Walken, who we haven't seen yet, and I'm excited about that. Uh, Batista, 
uh, Stellan Skarsgård, Javier Bardem, all these people. Keep going. <laughs> There's Charlotte Rampling, Lea Seydoux. Yeah. Um, Tim Blake Nelson apparently has some role in this yeah. movie. <laughs> Buster Scruggs himself. Buster Scruggs himself. Uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson, of course, has a role in this movie as um, uh, the robot eyes. Um, so <laughs> with all that said, um, Abe, we, you and I were big fans of what... Villeneuve did with Dune. Are are you did this did this the trailer for the sequel get you ramped up for the next one? Uh, I don't know if it really got me ramped up. I think I was already looking forward to it quite a bit. Um, I think this trailer kind of just served uh, a different purpose, which is that my friend and I, I was like, we have to go see this in IMAX. He's like, hey, I definitely agree, and that's uh, the purpose that it served, which is we're gonna go and check this out in IMAX uh, probably the first night. But um, I I I do like this trailer just from the standpoint of introducing all these other characters that Aaron named um, and letting me see them on the screen and also teasing a bit some some sandworm writing but it doesn't really have a lot else in it aside from things that you either it picking up from the first one so I don't know what the whole plot is I mean I've seen the old dune from way back when but as far as like the trailer goes it still is kind of teasery um, is this considered the first one or is this considered a teaser it's a teaser trailer. It's a teaser. There, there okay. will be more trailers, yes. Yeah, of course. Uh, so it did its job. I'm interested. I, I will go check that out on IMAX. I will add that I'm. It, the film was shot entirely with IMAX cameras, um, as opposed to the first one, which only used some IMAX, but this one shot with in, entirely IMAX. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, Scott, you you were uh, not the biggest fan of the first Dune. Do, is this, this is a trailer for the sequel do anything for you to make you excited? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I, I, I liked it more than I expected to, and I didn't, you know, for whatever reason, it, the marketing didn't do much for me, and I thought, honestly, my biggest issue is that it's a two-part movie, and it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and I think the film peaks at the 90-minute mark, and then sort of straddles around for a good hour sure. before coming to a relative, you know, it's, it's, you know, cliffhanger ending that you could have, anyway, whatever. Yeah, I, I, I think you could have made a three-hour movie one and done if you really wanted to, but I digress. Um, this one looks very good. I'm happy to see Christopher Walken in a high-profile film. I, I think it's been a while offhand. It's the War of Grandpa. <laughs> I forgot Max. he was in that. That's right. Him and Cheech Marin is support for De Niro. <laughs> it's, it's the, the three classics. Jesus. Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, and Cheech um, Marin. Three classics. And so yeah, and you know, everybody tell you know, everybody says that this is where all the cool stuff happens. And, and my vague recollection of, of the Lynch Dune film bears some of that out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, I, I for me. You know, pardon the expression, but there's not much at stake. Mm-hmm. You know, I expect to have a good time, and if I have a good time, great. Um, I think they greenlit the sequel to create the impression of success, financially speaking, and because they knew that having a complete adaptation of the first book was a hell of a lot more valuable over the long run than having this one part one of two that never got a part two because, you know, especially on a not on a curve, it didn't do that well at the box office. Um, but you know, I would have greenlit a sequel as well in that in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, There's but, also things that are beyond money in this scenario. Exactly, it I won mean, six the Oscars. Artistic, the artistic yeah. integrity of yeah. hey, we got it to won- make the whole story. <laughs> yeah, it won six Oscars. Yeah, the, yeah, that's um, the other thing. The success critically has to yes, cover yes. something. And historically speaking, when you have a part one of two and people like the part one, the part two does even better. 
Uh-huh. And you know, while I am not among those that thinks that it would have done a gajillion dollars more had it not been on HBO Max and had it not been released in the second year of COVID, mm-hmm. I do think this one has a solid shot of being at least somewhat more successful. Okay. Right. Um. So yeah, it looks fine. Looks good. Yeah. It's no the Meg to the trench, but whatever. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I um. I, I was very much not interested in the first Dune as far as like, oh, that's a lot of people with that like I generally enjoy in movies, but like, mm-hmm. what are we doing with Dune? Like, what's going to... Part part of that was because it's like, this just seems like a potential for disaster. Not that like, Villeneuve couldn't deliver a good movie. It was like, we're making Dune? Like, that's going to make money? Um, to my surprise, um, I loved the first Dune. I thought it was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed it. And so like, yes, getting the rest of the story interests me too. I will say that as one that thinks the Lynch film, I think the first half of it really works to the point where I was like, why do people like don't like this movie? Then I saw the second. I was like, oh, OK, I get it. This movie's not very good after this mm-hmm. kind of peaks. So, yeah, peaks right around with the, the this film peaks. So my one. so my thought here is, well, given what I how much I like this first Dune, I'm all here to see Villeneuve make a better version of the second half of Dune than Lynch did with his movie. Uh, you know, nothing against Lynch, nothing against the Legion of Cult fans that like that Dune, but I just like if you're you, you sold me on this first one really well, so I, I have little expectation um, as far as not being satisfied by what the second half has in store. And yes, the addition of you know more cast members, whatever's going on with the black and white stuff with Austin Butler's character, I'm that I'm cool with that. And yeah, whatever Walken's going to do in this movie, I can't wait. <laughs> so give me give me all the sandworm riding and knife fights you got. I'm, I'm yeah. Everyone's it. making the joke that Austin Butler is going to be talking in the Elvis voice. Do it. I want Christopher Walken talking in the Elvis voice and Austin Butler doing a Christopher Walken impression. Amazing. Oscars for both. <laughs> First off. <laughs> watching the watching the few clips I see of him in this trailer, I'm all about. If he wants to do the Elvis voice, I'm fine with that. That just seems like it'd be weird and fun. But you know, that just seems like it might fit. <laughs> yeah, doesn't seem like it'd be out of place. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. But, <laughs> right. But yes, if Butler's gonna do it, uh, <laughs> walking impression, I'd be down for that as well. That as be... Rebecca Ferguson said, do the voice. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, uh, Dune. If that happens, Scott. I'm just gonna stand with my theater screen and just be like, Scott called it. <laughs> you, you stand up. You put your your hand knife to your forehead and yeah. then like, throw it to the <laughs> house. Mendelssohn was correct. House Mendelssohn. Yeah. <laughs> Dune Part Two opens November third, twenty twenty three. So this November, packed, packed. Uh, that's not even the only things coming out in November. There's a lot of stuff coming out, but we don't have time <laughs> yeah, for there's that. There's a ton coming out. In there's a lot of coming out in November, <laughs> yeah, including a bunch of family stuff later in the month. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. But that's gonna do it for trailer talk. Let's move on now. Let's get to our main review for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm Star Lord. I formed the Guardians. Met a girl. Fell in love. That girl died, but then she came back. Came back a total dick. Oh, please. He left out some important information, but that is the gist of it. My sacred mission 
is to create the perfect society. He didn't want to make things perfect. He just hated things the way they are. you all to know that I'm grateful to fight beside my friends. Incinerate them. <laughs> we were always searching for a family until we found each other. Are you ready for one last ride? fly away together into the forever and beautiful sky. That should have been some of the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. The Guardians are back after various delays caused by Thanos wiping out half the universe, COVID having its own effect, and a red band of miscreants going after director James Gunn. We are finally back with a standalone film involving this lovable group of a-holes. This time around, the focus is largely on Rocket Raccoon, whose backstory is finally delved into while the rest of the Guardians band together to help their friend who has been wounded by Adam Warlock. However, it's not Adam who they need to look out for, but the High Evolutionary, the scientist responsible for making Rocket the way he is. Will this team be able to fight and bicker their way into saving Rocket? Scott, the Guardians have largely occupied their own space in the MCU. How did you feel about this trilogy, Capper? Uh, I quite enjoyed it, actually. I think it's one of the better Marvel movies of the last several years with the caveat that lost amid the whole is Marvel on the decline discourse. We have should remember that Shang-Chi fucking rocks, but mm-hmm. I digress. Um, this one, it's very long. It's very melancholy. It reminded me of the fourth Rambo movie in a weird way, in the sense that I have this weird sort of, you know, nothing we do really matters or matters anymore, but we just do as much as we can because what else are we going to do with the time we have on this planet? Um, and it felt like sort of a melancholy funeral slash eulogy for the notion of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as sort of the king of the pop culture zeitgeist. It felt more f- of a finale than Endgame did. And that's not a slight against Endgame. I think that w- that one absolutely stuck the landing. Um, but this almost felt like a James Gunn saying, you know, it's 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 okay, you can say goodbye now. Um and you know, the film opens with all these characters, it's sort of like, why are we still doing this? You know, what's the point anymore? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um but even aside from, you know, subtextual metaphorical readings, blah, blah, blah. It's just it's a really strong action adventure sci-fi picture. Visually, it's astounding. I was lucky enough to see it in IMAX, and I either the entire film was shot in IMAX or it's all formatted for IMAX. It's for, they open the mat. That's what they yeah. do. With it, yeah. Um, and it really looks very, very good in a way that some of the pictures have not of late. And again, I, I, I don't want to. I think the conversation about special effects has been sort of a distraction mm-hmm. in terms of what ails films like Thor, Love and Thunder and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Um, you know, for, first of all, they're overworked, underpaid, blah, blah, blah. You know that. We know yeah. that. But 
that being said, this one really was very visually impressive in a way that impressed me in a way that these films haven't for a while. Um, this is, you know, certainly gun doing whatever the hell he wants to do. Um, in a way that is very poignant because it's, you know, it's another story of people that were not used to love and didn't feel themselves deserving of love, very much navigating the notion of being in this found family in a way that I think is a little bit less yellow highlighter than the Fast and Furious films have become. Um, but they don't now, say family like every, every franchise. I'm sorry. They don't say family every five minutes to make sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think in a skewed way, almost every franchise has become a metaphor for found family and surrogate families where, you know, I mean, even the, you know, the just both justice league movies were kind of like that. Um, Fantastic four is going to really feel like a redheaded stepchild. And that's a good guy. We already were a family. It's like, we're (laughs) biologically related. Right. I guess the thing kind of jumped on. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> been friends of the family for the whole like, 40 years. But I I think the performances are incredibly strong. Uh, Chris Pat is excellent in this picture. Mm-hmm. And I usually think that he is good. He does what's needed. I think he's very good in the second Lego movie, weirdly enough, where he's playing what I would argue is a very self-critical version of is on-screen persona to a certain extent. But this is a surprisingly raw and angry performance that really works. Uh, Karen Gillan's terrific, but she's terrific in all of these pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say she's underrated, but I think pretty much anyone that pays attention knows how good she has been in the five performances she's put in these pictures. Uh, uh, Bradley Cooper is spectacular in what is obviously a voiceover role. And it, again, shows what can happen when you have an actor who doesn't take the voiceover gig as just sort of an easy day's work. Sure. Um, There is a scene of pain about halfway through the picture where it's just astonishing, just a howl of agony that's was very impactful. Mm -hmm. Um, The action is solid. Um, It is... um, the spectacle is creative. It is interesting. It is inventive. It is weird. Um, and it's just a really, really good movie. And it kind of reminds you to a certain extent that to a certain extent, Marvel became Marvel because every film was expected to be at least almost this good. Hmm. I think this one is better one of the better ones, but I think it reminds you that there was a certain level of expected quality that we got out of these films. And whatever happened over the last few years, this would be a good one to watch on repeat and see, okay, we need to at least try to capture this lightning in a bottle again if we're going to be as dominant of a pop culture property as we were five years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'll stop rambling. Abe, yes. where are you with uh, this latest Guardians? Uh, I, I think the word I was trying to come up to like a way to encapsulate all of it as I was leaving the theater. Um, and I kind of fell upon it's like a lovable a lot, like a lovable a lot. There's okay. a lot of this movie, it's like two and a half hours long. Um, it goes in a lot of different places here and there. Uh, but it is lovable in that I care for these characters, and I think that this is also one of the stronger, um, MCU entries mostly because it, it doesn't have to necessarily like reach out to other parts of the MCU and say, this is how we're connected. Hint, hint, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge type of thing. 
this is strictly just a we're in space we have a lot of things to do and there's a lot of characters so we can have various storylines um and while that does become a lot like what scott said it is very conclusive as well uh, conclusive from the standpoint of these characters but also conclusive from the standpoint of james gunn uh and i think that it also allows for a lot of james gunn's idiosyncrasies that may drive people the wrong way um James Gunn comes from like, you know, these like indie horror movies and weird trauma. Yeah, trauma movies and what have you. So there's like a lot of like weird, hilarious, weird creatures in this movie and maybe some lines that are very cutting um, and also some visuals that um, maybe like, oh, well, I didn't realize that James Gunn was this way. It's like he's always been this way. He's just kind of like been uh, I think he's been playing it a little bit safe. And then this one's just a little bit more just like here. Here I am in my full honesty. And I, I really appreciate that because um, while they do have a lot of uh, weirdness, there is a lot of heart, like what James Gunn always seems to always strive for uh, in all his movies that kind of guts into the human characteristics of empathy and also of belonging. Uh, and I think that's kind of come across in all of his movies, in all of the Guardians, Volume 1, 2, 3. Uh, but in this one, it kind of cuts deeper because I think it's from a character standpoint that I necessarily wouldn't have expected it to be from. So on the whole, visually, uh, it does have some really good uh, space uh, space painting. Uh, and I would also agree with Scott that there is a really good use of, um, like, when you watch the credits, you'll you definitely see that there's a lot of art houses across the globe that work on these movies. So it's very clear that they're just, what Scott mentioned, under or overworked and underpaid. So maybe some things don't come across as great, but... What what helps that out is that the story is actually a strong story um, about Rocket Raccoon and kind of what he's going through, but also, again, about the Guardians and how they have come together as this f- familial unit. Um, I also want to mention that uh, I think that this might be... I, I still kind of rank it like the third out of the Guardians movies, one, two, three. Um, and I think that the soundtrack in this one was... Uh, None of the songs really like hit me in the same way that maybe the other two song, the other two movies hit me. But when that last song hits, I was like, hmm, <laughs> this is nice. So um, it is, it's a nice, strong send off farewell to some of these characters and also to James Gunn. So um, while I, I, I have some issues with it, it's, it's in large part, it's kind of refreshing to kind of see this and still think that, yes, exactly what Sky mentioned. This is the stuff that, people thought that the MCU could be making and it's cool to see that this is, this was made. Soundtrack wise two still wins it out for me. Like I, that just like whatever reason that one just has like the right collection that sure. I can just listen to again. But I like, I like all of these soundtracks so much and I really like this third. I listened to it a few times now at this point and it just, yeah. it's really a, I, I like what it's doing with the decades. As far as these movies go, like, the first one is still my favorite MCU movie. So it's like, <laughs> it's, that doesn't mean it's like, it's a high bar to cross as far as these sequels go, but it's more of, I'm so happy that James Gunn seems to get how to do this stuff. Like you mentioned the holiday special, Abe, which I watched back in December when it came out, which I thought was great as far as I I see this and I see the other Marvel movies, not all of them. Like I was certainly a huge fan of Wakanda forever. I like Shang-Chi quite a bit too, but like you see a lot of the, Marvel movies, I mean, Quantumania's most recent example, all these directors have the same stuff to work with. Like, you know, they're all given these $200 million budgets. They all have the same resources. 
and I wouldn't necessarily say James Gunn is like one of the best directors working today, but I certainly think he's very capable. But I just wonder, like, what magic trick is he pulling where his movies just look better and feel more earned as far as what they're going for? And that's what I got with this movie now. Like, you know, now, you know, not just a TV special, but hey, here's a two and a half hour Guardians of the Galaxy film. And, you know, we can talk about the story and the characters, but like just on a technical level alone, this movie's dazzling. Like it has so much going for it in the realm of costume design and makeup design and blending of practical and visual effects. And like, that's not to say like the CG's like the best I've ever seen, but in terms of how it interacts with the world, that's this movie. It feels just better. It feels like a better place. I watched guardians two not too long ago before this, which I hadn't seen in a while. And I know that's a movie that's, you know, given more, more of a, it got more of a critical, uh, hit than the first one did for whatever reason. But then I'm thinking, like, we don't people didn't know how much good they had it when you watch that. That movie <laughs> yeah, looks yeah. spectacular when you watch yeah. again as someone that wasn't huge on it. Or, you're right. And, yeah. yeah, it's so yeah. But like this movie, you know, outside of like just how good it looks, like we could talk, like we'll talk about the story and the characters more. And you guys have already mentioned plenty of things that I agree with. I'll just say like. James Gunn's like, you know, we need these characters to go to a place to find a thing. Where can we go? How about this, like, David Cronenbergian <laughs> flesh planet? And it's like, <laughs> like, no one's thinking of this stuff and, like, making it look and sound and play in a way that's entirely fitting for a blockbuster comic book movie that millions of people are going to go see while still being, like, gross and weird. Like, it's such a, it's such a choice. And that's so much of this movie. There's such, like oddball choices that fit entirely into this director's aesthetic who knows how to transfer that into four quadrant entertainment that's an accomplishment in itself right there and that speaks to so much of what this movie gets right as far as having personality like i i've no doubt that the directors that work on these things granted they have to work with all these second unit things and these special effects guys or what have you but like i have no doubt that they're certainly capable and want to like you know impress their their ideas upon the material but like guns just doing it right like i don't know how else to say it like the same with suicide squad like he just he just it sticks the out suicide squad yeah i mean and it has this it has plenty of similar themes as these guardians as far as just you know found families and weird bits that turn into character pieces uh like this movie just has so much of that throughout it and i like that it's long and we can talk about like what missteps it may take but they stem entirely from the fact that james gunn just cares too much about this stuff to let it go but i like that every scene in this movie serves either character or story generally character like if there's excess in this movie it's because he wants to tell us more about these people which is not the worst problem to have when you have a movie you're trying to make that connects in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I, I wouldn't say I like it more than guardians one, but like, who cares? Like there's just three great guardians movies now that I'm really happy exist and give you this like sense of feeling where you, you just care about each of these people in their own ways. Cause they all get their chance to shine. Yeah. And with this one being a finale, I like that it, has like you guys have mentioned it has a sense of finality to it that very much informs this trilogy as a whole which is completely separate from the mcu yeah can you guys remind me when this is originally gonna be released uh oh, before he got fired uh yeah but i mean like even the, <laughs> may the 2020 date. may yeah. 2020 okay this was yeah. supposed to be the season premiere of phase four got it okay yeah which jesus yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, the reason I asked is because I think that yeah, it it 
I see where they it would have gone cosmic, which they did go in phase four and phase five. Um, and yeah, I think it, it would have been appropriate there, but being here now, it's like, it kind of just flags it as like, this is, this is the one of the, the better accomplishments of four and five for sure. Um, I had a question for you guys just around, uh, I know I've been seeing, uh, your tweets over this weekend and I, I kind of just want to address this on the show, which is just, uh, there is like some darker moments and scenery and imagery in this movie. And, uh, Scott, you answered it, I think very well, uh, over Twitter, just like, Hey, by the way, you know, if you think that this is bad, go check out like Batman returns or something like that. Right. Um, oh, I was just being snarky. I know. Because, I know. I yeah. Mean, but I mean, like that's I, the one time that kind of discourse actually made a difference, at least in my life. You know, Asked well, you could argue TV that in, or whatever. Yeah, I was gonna say you could argue the. I mean, Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. Temple of Doom since and the actual, Lewis, I mean. since the actual PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they they you know we had this conversation for like ten minutes for like Jurassic Park and then mm-hmm. for, uh, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings and then again for, um, what's the what's the bullying movie that Weinstein made a whole thing about because of the bully? language bully. Yes, that, that's the other one. <laughs> yeah. the well, other one. And, you know, he was very good at using these ratings fights as some kind of moral crusade to gum up free publicity for films sure. that nobody. Yeah, I get the purpose anyway. of it, but yeah, that's the. Yeah. I mean, where it comes into question. I, you know, I you know, thank God Phil and Ema got a PG thirteen. Otherwise, all those hardcore middle school Judy Dench fans would have been crushed. <laughs> Well, the Lost King made like how many billions again? The follow up to Oh yes, yes, the King's Speech of the PG thirteen version. No, 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 no. The Lost King, the, the Lost the, Kingdom, the no, the Lost King, the new Stephen. Oh, the Frears, Lost King, the, Steve, the new Stephen Frears, um, Steve Coogan movie. That's you know. Uh, oh, right, right, right. Um, I'm yes. just making a joke. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they, but made, I was like, they made yeah. a follow up film that was right. even dirtier than the Philomena. <laughs> For the record, I think Philomena is awesome. It's, it's a great movie. movie. Yes, but yeah. and the other thing is, it's worth, it's worth remembering. You know, in context of those kind of com- discourses, is. It wasn't a matter of getting the PG-13 for kids. It was a matter of getting a PG-13 for a certain subset of older audiences that don't want to see R-rated movies because they think it's going to be too vulgar for them. So it, what you're speaking to is the the idea that because specifically, I mean, there's violence in the movie as far as the Guardians wipe out a bunch of aliens or what have you. But like yeah, the, specifically, there's, there's a lot of animal-related cruelty going on. Yeah, yes. scientific experiments related to animals. And it's not even that graphic. It's just you know that these right. quivering, scared animals are in pain the entire totally, time. Yeah. And I think and that, that's why, yeah. you know, that, that's, you know, the more you know, hashtag, but it's there, and it's one reason my wife wasn't crazy about the movie, and mm-hmm. if that's to you as a deal-breaker, there's not really much I can say to, you know, so be it. Mm-hmm. I certainly understand that. Yeah. Um, I I think that the the larger question I have about it is like, hey, it's rated PG thirteen. This doesn't mean that it's like rated G, you know, or even yes, like that is. So you do have to understand that there can be. I think PG thirteen. Somebody wrote on Twitter is like it is defined as like children under thirteen might find some of these things yeah, cautionary guidance is suggested. Yeah, exactly. the issue is that for the last twenty years, it's been the go to rating for almost everything. Mm-hmm. It's a catch all. It's a yeah. catch-all that's loosely defined and, in a flawed rating. You know, system. it's it's right. You know, movies like Mulan, which I would argue is less violent than the G-rated animated film, ends up with a PG-13. And films like Nola Holmes, which has almost no violence other than some fisticuffs, mm-hmm. ends up with a PG-13. And then well, you just, also have films like Taken, that is about European sex trafficking, that sneaks its way into a PG-13. Like just I mean, last week's God, it's Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, is easily yeah, a yeah. PG movie, but because they, say words, movie. because they say words like menstruation, it has yeah. to be PG-13. And it's like, sure. okay. Which yeah. is kind of 
despite the target audience the being younger than 13. I mean, it's... Right. Um, well, so it yeah, sounds like we're on I mean, the same page of this. <laughs> well, this movie, like, I... It's I I absolutely think it deserves its PG thirteen. Yes, rate. yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah, I I think there is. I would say I, it's. I, I wouldn't say that... there's. I wouldn't say there's R thirteen violence in the same way that like <laughs> Scott, you like to say like Die Hard for like, Live Free or Die Hard has like yeah very hardcore well, films PG-13 were just violence. like tons of scenes where like innocent civilians get like machine gunned to death, but it's right. okay because there's no blood. But yeah. in terms of like beyond just the rating, beyond like whatever term they put to rate this thing, as far as the like content of the movie goes. Some you know we can murder a bunch of people, but when it comes to animals, some people are more sensitive. Mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah. That doesn't for me particularly phase me, but I, I I can I can understand people that are a little more apprehensive. I will say the things that happen in this movie happen for a reason that are entirely you know explained. But also yeah. when that kind of stuff happens, you tend to expect a level of comeuppance to make up for that, which I also think this movie knows how to deliver on. Yeah, yeah. And my part isn't so much even like the animal stuff, like. I think it's just more of I don't know how you can be outraged about this rating and then go to watch this movie and be like, oh, don't take children to go see this. I was like, I don't I don't know. Like your battles are your own and you can choose to fight them however you wish and you vote with your dollars. But don't be mad at a movie for making some decisions and choices and then just being like, well, I don't think anybody because I've seen it now. Let me publicly voice my opinion and say, I don't think children under whatever should go see this. Like, you know, like. I don't know. Children see a lot of things and uh, a lot of like what Scott mentioned just earlier. There's a lot of things that are rated PG-13 that probably are are narrowly missing PG-13 or are right. You know, there's a lot of horror movies that we see that are just because there's no blood or or uh, gore. They're rated PG-13, but some of the scariest stuff out there. Right. And I I'm, I'm just not a fan of of um, backseat driving. I don't know what to call this, but of just par- well, making well, it, making right. make guaranteeing, make, making I your th- concerns everybody else's. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's I, it's a it's a James Gunn science fiction movie and with a cartoon raccoon, with a cartoon raccoon, <laughs> exactly. with a, who holds a machine, who wields machine guns. Um, and you should have known this from the jump of just like, hey man, there might be some things in here that aren't great for kids, but that is you know, you don't have to like parent me about it, helicopter parent me about it. Um, I think also, I mean, it goes into a, again, this is an, a very long ongoing conversation sure. where anytime you have a, because PG-13 has become such a catch-all rating, there is controversy whenever there's a movie like The Lone Ranger that actually earns its PG-13. Mm-hmm. And conversely, there is, in the same way that, you know, if you'll notice, like, anytime there is a movie that isn't a pure action movie or a pure horror film that has a certain level of violence, everybody freaks out, calls it the most violent thing ever made. This goes back to Pulp Fiction, Nurse Betty, uh, all the way up to Joker. Mm -hmm. Um, And once, once I point that out, you will start noticing it every time. Because you know it's 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 for whatever reason there's this weird disconnect where any time a film that isn't again it's not an action movie it's not a horror film but there is violence everyone acts like it's it's the next coming of 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 uh, a Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. Um. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moving on <laughs> to to to, yeah. to go to go off the animal related stuff in this movie sure. that is okay. caused by one person which is this high evolutionary character played by chuck woody iwuji mm-hmm. um i want to hear what you guys think of this guy but i don't just want to say i think he's pretty great in this movie uh i like the fact that there's this kind of theater trained actor that's not a huge you know marquee star that's been chosen for the film but instead this like 
theater trained like black actor a black actor for one thing which is also just out of the ordinary for this kind of role that doesn't require some kind of convoluted backstory or some kind of revenge tale or he worked for Tony Stark for whatever reason at some point. <laughs> 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 it's this guy that's just evil. Like he yeah. has he has a function and he wants to execute that function and that's his deal. He's yeah. such an unrepentant pure dick. I I swore he was played by Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> <laughs> Academy Award winner Kenneth Branagh, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's nice that he is just an asshole, yeah. a monstrous, delusional dick. Yeah. And um, and it is a very strong performance in a way that doesn't necessarily call attention to itself. Exactly. Um, yeah, Chuck Woody is great in this role. He's also great in Peacemaker as Agent Guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he just he's not like he's not chewing scenery, but also he's just really good in all of his scenes. Like he's not like, you know, he's not overdoing it. Uh, he, he's just doing it enough where it's like, hey, this is actually a really good asshole guy that I hope gets his comeuppance. It's impressive because he does scream a lot by the end of this movie. Yet I don't think it's it's not like, I don't know, Gary Oldman in any number of villain roles. It feels like oh, there is. It's purpose. not Patrick Wilson in Aquaman. It's <laughs> and I love that, but. And it fits for that movie, but I do yeah, think yeah. what he's doing here, I I like this god complex he has and how that's turned yeah. him into this ego maniacal narcissistic sociopath that just it does evil things. <laughs> it's like I the again, the fact that it's played by like I, I hesitate to say real actor, but you know what I mean, I think. As yes. Far as they didn't just sure. like yeah, cast like going the guy for Jared that's Harris right instead now. of Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, it's that just seems really cool to me. And like, I agree with you, Abe. I do think he's really good on Peacemaker. And it's easy to see why James Gunn's like, this guy's great. Let me put him in my Guardians movie. Right. I get it. <laughs> also, the makeup design is incredible in this movie. It really is. Oh, yeah. 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 I, you on him, but, in your brief the, thoughts, and it was like, I agree with you that the makeup and costume design are very good in this movie. Yeah. Um, can we talk about some of the other characters as well? Yeah, of course. Let's do it. Uh, Scott, you mentioned uh, Bradley Cooper, who I think is aces in this movie as well, uh, and voice acting. And it, it's really tough because um, Aaron and I love when a uh, friend of the show, um, Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig did his voice in, in um, Tintin. Tintin. Uh, and it is very good when it, it's really nice and refreshing when actors do a voice. You know, and so yeah, Bradley Cooper—they're Cooper not, not themselves as a person, right? Yeah. So Bradley Cooper—he's doing a lot in this, and I don't know. Do you guys know if it was him doing Young Raccoon? Uh, it's not him doing it. So the baby, baby raccoon is—I'm not sure the name offhand. Okay. The um, younger rac- Rocket is Sean Gunn, and Sean? then then adult Rocket is Bradley Cooper. It's Bradley. Okay. Yeah. But I, I think that he's really good in here as well. Um, and then uh, again, special shout out to. Karen, but I think that Palm Clementif yes is excellent in this. I movie. agree. <laughs> who she she serves like the heart of this movie of this one in particular, where she's kind of the core and like the the emotional uh, empathetic core, and that that's very suiting of her abilities. But um, just the way that she's able to rally everybody and kind of get everybody on the same page, and then I watched the holiday special after Volume Three. And I was like, oh, it starts kind of here in the holiday special. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's it's. And again, this is just by nature of this, the, the the continuity. But this is the first time, along with the holiday special, that we've seen Mantis as just herself. Mm-hmm. 
and that is so it is a different kind of sorry i interrupted to carry no, on. no 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 that, that, yeah. I, I would love your jumping off point but that, I, I i agree with what you guys are saying like because i and scott i agree with you with pratt i like i i had like as far as the people like i think everybody's doing a great job in this movie i do think mm -hmm. pratt gillen cooper and yeah clementive are like the standouts here and there is a especially when you have multiple of them in the same scene there's this like for all the people that are crying about animals in this movie it's like okay fine like the, the scene that got me as far as being emotional was the scene where 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 mantis is defending drax against nebula where there's oh, no real yeah. stakes there beyond she just you know insulted him and kind of pushed him it's like yeah. don't push him and it's like this should not be working me up but it's like i, <laughs> I like the fact that it's purely focused on this makeshift family defending yeah. each other from each other and i like the writing i like the i won't you know spread everything that's being said in that scene but i like what they're saying about why each of these characters are different mm -hmm. i like what she has to say about drax and the counterpoint i like what you know the, the others have to say about each other there's just so much stuff there and i think that comes again from gun getting what these characters are and delivering on them letting them all have their moments to shine so sure. that, that's why these actors are able to stand out the way they do yeah and i think that's also why we're why it's able to set itself apart uh these guardians movies from the the other MCU movies as well because they are very self, uh, self-involved. Yeah, and you know certainly the the better ones, which include non-Guardians movies, I think work because the characters are not just charisma machines, but have deeper layers to them, and that's why you get like you know that's why a Downey Jr. stands out in certain movies because there's more to it than just you know Tony Stark snarks a lot. Uh, but like yeah, these Guardians ones. Oh, I mean, <laughs> these guardians movies it's they're ensemble films right yeah. so, and they and they very much act like it like as much as chris pratt might be the lead of this like he's certainly not the character with the far and away most screen time it's pretty equally spread out and i really appreciate yeah, that's that. a good decision by gun not to just be like well chris pratt's the, a sensible leader to this so let me have him get 60 percent of the lines and 60 percent of the screen time uh, I'm glad that they kind of just like hockeyed it all out and just like everybody has a role to play and everyone's going to be highlighted at some point. And, and, and even in this movie where there was like a flashback sequence where it's like, hey, man, it's been your story all along. I was like, oh, I didn't realize this, but I guess so. It speaks to Pratt as well as far as he, you know, he's in a position where he can insist on certain things if he wants to be the guy that has the lines or doesn't lose fights. <clears throat> um, he certainly has come a lot in Hollywood power, yeah. I, 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 you know, if he wanted to be that guy, he could be that guy. But the mm -hmm. fact that he's very much let himself, letting himself now no longer be the emotional core of this series, it becomes Rocket. Like, mm -hmm. that... <laughs> That, that's not a thing that that's not a thing that should be overlooked for the guy that seems to be pinned as worst Chris all the time. <laughs> uh, Scott, I want to ask you a question. How often have we seen Mad Pratt? Sorry, what was that? How often have we seen Mad Pratt? Like, I don't I don't know if he's played uh, mad a lot, right? Not in. I mean, it's been the a first while. Half of, I mean, of uh, passengers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, even that is is. Yeah, kind of. Um, okay. I mean, it's certainly is he in mad in the Amazon stream. show. Uh, he's yes, because his, his okay. spoiler, his family gets murdered in the first episode. Oh, he's punished, but it's more button-down rage than that this is. kind of, you know, alcoholic anger, which is yeah. which. Um, all this to say is like I agree with you that Mad Pratt is actually really good in this movie as well. Yeah, he's yeah, it's it's something that we don't see from him in these kind of movies. Mm -hmm. There's um, a yeah, there's a there's an energy to that as far as this because you know him so much as an affable guy that you know to, to, to pretty you know wants to be cool so if he's losing that cool it's like yeah this, this is some serious stuff you got to deal with and yeah, yeah and i think he, that he's the chris that blends in most with like his 
is off camera personality, which is to say like, oh, you know, he can be kind of goofy and charming. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And so to see him actually like, not to say to see him really acting, but more like to see him kind of taking character to turn. That is, it's it's nice to see. Well, it's the roles that it's the roles that certainly suit what we'd prefer to see out of him most, right? Because you have like the Jurassic World films, and it's like our issue with those is that they don't know what they want to do with him, right? He's just like, well, is he is he funny or is he just pure action guy? What's yeah. going on with this character, whose yeah. whose name escapes me as I talk about him more more? Oh, Owen something. Owen. <laughs> yeah. Owen Brady. Grady. Owen Grady. Okay. Yes. Sure. <laughs> um, where these Guardians films and just a few other roles outside of that, they seem to t- they tap into why this guy works as things. You know, why mm-hmm. a lovable loser is better than you know cool action guy. Which yeah. Scott, that's what you're alluding to with Lego Movie yes. Two, the fact that it's making fun of the fact that he became yes. <laughs> um, and I I think you know again I think he's one of those guys like Matt Damon that I think is a lot more self aware than he's given credit for. Mm-hmm. Fair okay. enough. Yeah, let's talk about some of these other characters. We mentioned Gillen and Cooper and what have you, but mm-hmm. we still have like Zoe Saldana and Dave Bautista. What you guys? Oh yeah, they're again, they're all really good. Yeah. And I think by virtue of the status quo where this film begins, they all get to play some very different shades in these characters than we've seen in the prior three to four appearances, give or take. Yeah, nothing to really add there. It's got hit it there. They just they're able to do different a lot of different shades because of who they are now. I mean, you know, Gamora is literally a different version of right. Gamora. Exactly. Or Gamora, whatever the hell. Yeah, Gamora. Yeah, but they're... they're Not the they're, turtle. <laughs> they're able to do different things because of where their characters are now in the MCU. But also, again, I feel like because of the finality of what Gunn was writing, they're also able to really evolve into what they do become by the end of this movie. How about the new... One of the newer... Uh, yeah, I wanted to talk Will about Bolter this. as an yeah. Adam Warlock. Uh, I am not familiar with Adam Warlock at all. And so kind of coming into this and kind of remember that teaser from Guardians 2, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like he's bubbling. And I was like, who is this guy? And people are like, he's like, he's he's basically like the original um, superhero or or super like uh, mutant, what have you. And he's super strong. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be really interested to see how this goes. And I see him on the screen and I was like, he's kind of a doofus, but I love it. <laughs> it for people that really like Adam Warlock, I assume they're very mad at James Gunn this weekend, is my yes. impression. Like, because Adam it's Warlock the 10 is 10 year anniversary of Iron Man 3. <laughs> Adam Warlock is, uh, he's like perfection, but with this kind of, I don't know, like this kind of arrogant attitude about uh-huh. the fact that he's perfection. And so what Gunn has done here is, yes, he's made him into this. The idea is that he's been taken out of his like gestation period early. Right. Early, so he's not yeah. smart. Yes. He's not he's not an adult. He doesn't have an adult's mind. So he's yeah. like a baby. And <laughs> I I will say I think he's entered. I think Will Poulter plays him entertainingly. Uh-huh. I will say if the movie has areas that it could have, I don't know, uh, traded off a bit. I do think that the Adam Warlock stuff is. It doesn't get a lot of its due, I think, to be like this was absolutely necessary for the movie. Yeah, yeah. This guy um, out there. I think it's a it's a situation, and again, I I like the film. I think it's fine. I think without going into details, I think his his arc works in the macro sense in terms of the the overall story that James Gunn is trying to tell. Yeah, but I do think there's a slight, you know, maybe if he didn't feel the need to include that character, he might not have included that character. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of um, but it also helps with like the mid credit sequence of like, okay, well, this is where this character can go. Yeah. Um, 
also, it's another reminder that, you know, as much as everybody likes to take these mid-credit teases as absolute gospel, that's usually not the case. Right. I mean, you know, it's, 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 again, they're, they're fun credit cookies. They're not supposed to be ironclad. This is exactly what's happening in the next movie. Yeah. Um, he does have a line that made me laugh a lot where he's like, who threw this thing at me? <laughs> that, that, uh, that makes I me think a gun thing to stay on something for like more than like half a beat, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. just like it becomes awkward. <laughs> um, I also think, uh, and forgive me for I don't know the character's name, but uh, Elizabeth Debicki plays a different version of the character than I recall her being in the second film, Aisha, yeah. Of the Where sovereign. it's like she seemed more of a dominant leader slash arch villain ruler, and now she's sort of, at best, sort of a mercenary. Yeah, I think it. Which kind of, whatever. I mean, it, I don't care. I'm 43 years old. But. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of hazily goes over the fact that while in the second film they seem to be on their own doing their thing, this one was like, by the way, the high fucking what's his name the the high um. The high evolutionaries, like, evolutionary, yeah, created them the whole time and like can boss them around if he feels like it. Like it's yeah. like, all right, I guess that's a thing now. I mean, he's uh, got he's got some pretty serious powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as like the, where the MCU goes after this, uh, this is not a spoiler. And I won't go to like details of what the the last part of this of the credits say, but where does this go after this? I mean, what Hopefully I like about nowhere. This, what I like about this movie <laughs> is that I don't care about the other MCU based yes. on this movie. Oh, like totally. This, this yeah. movie's not telling me anything that I need to be concerned with as far as the greater. The no, greater no, no, yeah, cause. but I guess just in terms of like these characters. In terms of these characters, like you know, if I see some again, I see some again. Yeah, you know, they, 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 many of them exist in a way where, hey, if we want to throw them into another Avengers movie or what have you. I'll be happy to see them. Or if somebody yeah. takes the reins of a Guardians 4, we've known for a while that Gunn had this arc in mind for this particular um, uh, configuration of Guardians. But if there's a 4 where they do a new configuration, like, you know, good luck to you and what have you. And okay. I'll be happy to see, you know, a reminder of some faces or what have you. But I didn't know that about about uh, him having a vision for an arc. Oh, yeah, this was the, yeah, his plan all along was to make the, these three stories. Uh, okay. That's, that's what he was going for. And so he's, he's, he's officially, and especially he's running DC now. So, you know, he's not going to do anything anyway. <laughs> but he's, <laughs> he, he had his plan in mind as far as finishing this specific set of stories off of this movie. So. Okay. Um, I will say that as as pessimistic as I am commercially for the notion of Superman finally becoming a big deal, a level blockbuster franchise 40 uh-huh. years after Superman 2, artistically, I'm very optimistic for whatever the hell Gunn has in mind after seeing this picture. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I completely agree there. I mean, he has the means to do what he can. Yeah. yeah. Um, he also he wrote that one by himself and he's like, I'm searching for a good director and that director is me. <laughs> the the same thing happened for Suicide Squad. It's like I'm writing Suicide Squad. We'll see what happens. Like oh, I'm directing it now. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty good. I got some time on my calendar. I got some time. Uh, we, we we've talked about like the emotional aspects. I think a little bit here, and we've talked about some of the other stuff. But like, what about the comedy and the action? I know we've mentioned that it's good, but um, yeah. like specifically like the action for a franchise that's relied heavily on you know CG action spectacle combined with sometimes there's fights or what have you this movie certainly wants to play a lot of different angles what do you guys think of like the action in this movie well they brought in heidi money moneymaker to uh be the fight coordinator and she's done she also worked on hawkeye and she's been the coordinator for stuff like uh the hunt and and 
you know, Mulan and, and Fast and Furious or, or Obsidian. Odd. Mm-hmm. She is relatively well respected in the you know the VOD circles and what have you. And I do yeah. think there is at least there's one scene toward the end where it's like, oh, they had a real fight coordinator on this set. Yeah. Um, um I think um, the way that I would characterize is that it it, it is weird for me to say, but it feels like the fight sequences and actually because it had meaning. Um and I see that because there are stakes in them, but also, you know, when I'm thinking about uh when I'm thinking about like, there's like two cannon blasts that happen with friend of the show Nathan Fillion, and what uh-huh. happens in that sequence is not what I was expecting to happen in that sequence. <laughs> Where I was like, oh, there's like the emotional beat to it too, but also like, oh, um, it looks like Drax is actually like really pretty hurt. hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like in other movies, it, it would have been passed off as like, oh, this is nothing, and let let's get out of here. But it's like, oh no, there's actually he says something to Mantis, and then uh, he gets cannon blasted again, <laughs> and then there's. There's also meaning uh, and stakes in a flashback sequence involving Rocket and his buddies, um, which is actually pretty dark. Uh, not from what happens, but just how Rocket kills these people. And I think I even saw some blood splatter, maybe. Um, and then they that that uh, the sequence that Scott is talking about. There's, a, I'm glad that they were able to choreograph this. It wasn't my favorite in terms of you know hallway fight sequences and how they shot it, but hey, it's much better than a lot of other sequences that I've seen. I agree with you as far as the stakes meaning being meaningful for why the action happens the way it does here. Cause I think my gripe with part two is that there's a lot of action towards the end where, you know, something else is happening in the rest of the galaxy, but it's like, we're still dealing with like Kurt Russell and Chris Pratt punching each other. It's like, guys, like we need to speed this up. Uh, and it feels like it becomes inconsequential despite the, what seems like horrific losses happening elsewhere. This yeah, movie... that's one reason I I overall am not big on that second film, which I think the first two acts are spectacular. But yeah. for exactly for the reason you said, it becomes sort of generic blockbuster spectacle with no consequence in that third act that just goes on and on and on. So, and I think the finale of this one goes a little overdone too. But yeah, I it's I earned could, it. I could yeah, I could say like yeah, it's long, I suppose, but I do think that the action happening because the stakes are fairly small scale by comparison there's no planet at risk there's no galaxy at risk here it's really oh they take care of that right away yeah it's really we have to help a friend of ours and there's also a greater good that comes from it and the action around all of those things makes sense to me as far as the relatable stakes as opposed to an amorphous blob of hey everything's happening at once here um i i like that because it's it has a more grounded sense of scale given that it, what we're still doing with like two massive spaceships. I like that the action makes sense to me as far as why it needs to happen the way it's happening. Yeah. And yes, it's also just really well done. I do think in the realm of hallway fights. Yeah. It's a really cool one. Like, and it emphasizes teamwork, um, which is very key for a guardians of the galaxy movie. So yeah, yeah that all. And again, if you put beastie boys on a sound, no, yeah, my highlight of those things is like, Hey man, those are getting messed up. Like, there's, they're not, they're not like hurt, broken leg. They, they're dead. <laughs> yeah. So, so good job, gun. Um. What I mean. I, oh. I, yeah. Go ahead. I, I I have a question for Scott. I was gonna ask about the. I mean, it's obviously there's still comedy here. It's a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Would you say this movie's especially funny? Like, were you laughing more than ever with the Guardians, or was it? Was the I was kind not. of the down, the downer or like the dour the more dour aspects was that kind of fading in enough to balance it out more? 
No, I wasn't laughing as much as the volume one and two, but I still laughed. I think that I was just concerned with other parts of the movie. And so, you know, I just talked about briefly how it becomes like this awkward silence, which is fun. But also it just becomes a lot because there's a lot of like back and forth that Gunn writes with his characters to elongate scenes, which he's done in all of his volume one, two, three movies. I'd argue that speaks more also to like, they've been together so long and like someone did a calculation on Twitter. It's been, they've been together 12 years since the first Guardians wow. of the Galaxy at this point, <laughs> given just the way time works in this universe. Since part yeah. two picks up like six months later from part one. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, you know, the years since Thanos stuff and they were like, it's like, it's been a while. So like, they're not bickering as much cause they just, they're used to each other. <laughs> so yeah. it leads to less like out and out hilarious scenes. Cause they're not yelling at each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I thought it was fine. I mean, I laughed when I was supposed to laugh, but I wasn't rolling in the aisles or anything. Yeah. Uh, but I also think a lot of the comedy is not macabre, but there's a certain bitterness to it. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, and that's a detriment. That's, that's what there is. I enjoyed the picture. Yeah. There is a certain, uh, yeah, bitterness. I'll stop there. Yeah. I like that Stallone came in to do his tight five. Yeah. <laughs> it's tight five. <laughs> And that's my time, folks. I've seen the light. I like to think that Stallone's not even playing a character, even though he very much is. He's, he's just, just like Stallone. Stallone. he's just Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, you don't get to wear these Ravager badges. Like just that's his off thing. It's like, yeah, I'm also a Ravager. <laughs> I go to space. Been nice to see months. you know Academy Award winner Michelle Yeoh show, but she's not there. Yeah, when I, when I'm not doing my cool reality show or Paramount <laughs> Plus reality show, apparently I'm a Ravager in space. Right, Jesus. Scott, I have no a question comment. for you uh, around the legs of this movie. Uh, as you kind of round things out here, what do you prognosticate? I don't know. Legs? Okay. I mean, it is, again, I, I I don't know if it's a case where all of us online go, oh, you know, children are going to be disturbed and audiences are going to be bothered by it. You know, that might just be online bullshit uh-huh. because, you know, we've made that mistake before, you know, including me, frankly. I remember when I first saw The Dark Knight, like great movie, but I don't know how regular non-nerds are going to react to this very violent, very intense picture. Right. Obviously, they said, "Fuck yeah, we want to see it again." Yeah. Um, I'm saying like forever, very, which yeah. is like you know, it's a very somber and mournful picture that's very long, and, and yeah. frankly, I wasn't as big on it in the first one. My son wasn't as big on the first one, but it did leg out to four hundred fifty-five million dollars domestic for a one eighty opening. Right. which is pretty good. Um, I'm going to throw now, this out there just to say, I don't think this movie is as somber as you're selling it as. I do not disagree that there are somber moments in it. Oh, but no, I, it's, it's, but I, it's I don't a think crowd it, pleaser. I don't, yeah, I don't think it leaves you walking out of the theater being like, oh, that was rough. I do think there's a, a lot also, of hope. it ends really It's well. very hopeful. Again, that, that last song is just like, this is a Yeah, that epilogue a, is really sweet. That's a great capper to the whole thing, but I yeah. do think the experience yeah. itself, it's like, yeah, it's throwing you through the motions, but much like yeah. The Dark Knight throws you through the motions, it's still a very yeah. enjoyable movie to watch. Yes. No, totally. Yeah. And, and hey, Scott, the reason why I'm asking is very selfish. I'm just like, I want to be number one in our summer gamble. <laughs> yeah. And you're, well, no, you're and, like, and, it was okay. It's opening was okay. And I was like, well, this is not again, it's 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 noticeably lower than the third, second film. Uh-huh. And yes, COVID, yes, Disney Plus, yes, quote unquote Marvel fatigue. But you know, regardless. You know, Disney does not green light Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three to open in May of 2023, so it can open open with a quarter, you know, 25 percent less than the second one, and struggle to top 700 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. 
I don't. I mean, they so, also couldn't predict the number of things that happened between two and three. Oh, of course. I, you know, after yeah. firing James Gunn and then hiring him again, um, which you know, I, I think that was, um, but firing that, I mean, it's just that most Marvel movies that open in May as a summer kickoff film tend to be more front loaded than the ones that open in July. Sure. You know, generally speaking, July and November. Do you think the impact um, of Ant-Man, despite not being directly connected to this movie, makes a difference as far as why yes. less people showed up? Because I would argue Yes, I think there's – because I think they've lost – to a certain extent, they've lost the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, because now, you have a lackluster, a less, the lackluster film being the yeah. previous example of this studio's brand. Yes. And now does that mean that it could be leggier as more people say, well, the reviews are good and my friends say it's good, so I'm going to catch it in Weekend too. Yeah. Don't know. Maybe, hopefully. Um, I think the big question for all of these pictures going forward is, and this is something we saw with Doctor Strange last year, this is something we saw with Captain America Civil War, which got rave reviews in an A Cinema score, which is that you had an inflated opening weekend because you had diehard Marvel fans that thought it was basically the next Avengers movie. And after those people checked it off their box... You had the, you know, everyone else that's, okay, how does this work as a Captain America threequel? How does this work as a Doctor Strange sequel? Sure. And with Ant-Man, the problem was, how does this work as an Ant-Man sequel? Terribly, thank you for asking. <laughs> so, you know, that's why, that's one reason why that film dropped like a rock. Should have kept film, the heisting, Scott. Not you, Michael Pena. This Pena. film, I think, very much works as a Guardians of the Galaxy threequel. Yeah. It, by the way, yeah. this Ant Man three doesn't have Judy Greer. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy three does have Judy. Does Greer. so you say that Judy Greer is the X Factor? <laughs> wait, wait, Judy Greer's in Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy three. You know that pig. You know that pig thing. That pig cyborg. The, the thing? pig century. Yeah. Oh, that's her voice. Yeah. yeah. So they did Scott. Thought... They did Scott's family in Ant Man, and suddenly the Ant Man movies aren't as fun. And who's Linda Karen did Carol, uh, fuck me. She's the that otter. Is, uh... She's Lila. Yeah, she's Lila. Fair the enough. Otter. Well, good for them. Um, <laughs> maybe she had one left on her contract. It's like, okay, we're not using the Ant Man, so you can come back with this one. I'm just curious where Carnival and Pena are. That's what I want to know. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Um, now, just running the numbers here, yeah. you know, if it legs like Doctor Strange 2 and does 2.2, then they're in trouble. 2.2 multiplier of the opening weekend. Okay. If it legs like, you know, a normal Marvel May picture does around 2.4, what's 114 times 2.4, does $274 million. A disappointment, but not a disaster. Mm -hmm. um, and that means that a film like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse or Mission Impossible uh, uh, Dead Reckoning or Indiana Jones and the Adventures of Jared Hall could theoretically go above that. Uh, um, but if it legs like the last Guardians movie, which uh, normally I'd say no because it's part three and not part sure. two and theoretically sequels become more front-loaded as they go on. But again, you had maybe you had some hesitancy that will play out and if Fast X isn't very good, then theoretically this will remain the only game in town for okay. generic, not generic, but generalized PG-13 tentpoles. So 2.66 times 114, it still gets you just past 300 million, which I think is the best case scenario. Okay. Well, I mean, so Book Club 2 comes out next week. I mean, I mean, the blockbusters aren't stopping here. No, they're I'm not. sorry, what was that? Book Club 2 comes out next week, Scott. I mean, <laughs> yes, obviously Book Club 2 is going to continue this run of $50 million openers. <laughs> um... It's That's a very detailed answer, Scott, and I appreciate that very much. It's, I'm sorry? 
I, it's a very detailed answer, and I appreciate it very much. I'm, I'm, well, I miss doing stuff like that. Well, you know, this is why you're on our show from <laughs> yeah. time to time. Just, yeah, so we can, and, uh, you know, we can scratch that itch for you. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I am concerned. Okay. But so far, the reviews are good, and it did get an A from Cinema Score. Yeah. So I think this could be a case where the online hand wringing does not reflect the general audience opinion. To be continued. Yeah, to be continued for sure. Well, we've talked a lot about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. When yeah. should people go and see this movie? It's currently playing in theaters and IMAX. Scott, when should people see this movie? I think you should see it as soon as convenient in theaters in either IMAX or Dolby. Okay. Abe? Yeah, I would say this is a theater movie, uh, despite even some of the things that we talked about with some of the length and, and maybe some of the characters that are involved. But it's still uh, worthy, worthy of your time in the theaters. Yeah, this is what the summer movie experience is made for big crazy blockbusters with enough personality to make them stand out so mm-hmm. and it looks spectacular which is why i'd say yeah go see this in an imax or, or adult yeah like see it in a premium screen because it absolutely works in a way that uh, other blockbusters seem to pale when it comes to simple things like color grading so i mean yeah this movie <laughs> just looks fantastic so like yes it's the biggest thing possible and it's the sound is great too i mean it yeah is, the music's is. great yeah. but like i saw it i saw it again with my dad uh dad movie corner he really liked it too oh, okay. um it, the sound is incredible in this film <laughs> like it's so good oh. um so yeah props to james gunn and uh, best luck to him as far as writing the ship of running DC. the dc yeah, yeah so all right. Well, All right. we've talked about Guardians. We lived through Guardians. And now it's time to move on to something else. Do those sentences make sense together? We'll, nope. we'll yes. find out. But close enough. It's time for something else now. What time is it? I think it's time for a quick game here. Scott, did you know that they were going to use that as the closing song? But Aaron was like, no, no, go ahead and give it to Florence. Yes. <laughs> oh, you did know. Okay. All right. Yes, I did. I said that uh, on Twitter very loudly. <laughs> you tagged everybody in it. Yeah. Uh, including Jeffrey Katzenberg, former uh, Disney. Disney. Yes, guy. very much. Yeah, Jeffrey Katzenberg, obviously. <laughs> I've got a game for you guys this week. It's called Box Office Math. This okay. is a game in which I will name an actor from a from the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 movie. I will give you two movies, and I would like you to tell me what the total, what you think the total of those two movies are, the closest to that number. We'll get wait, wait, point. total combined, like the sum? Total combined of two movies that I will name. Okay, domestic? domestic or worldwide? Domestic, domestic box office run, please. Oh boy, Scott's going to have a leg up on me, but Who we'll knows? see. Who knows? Maybe. You haven't seen how, I was, how I've... Uh, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> um, Scott, because you are our guest, you get to go first here. Bradley Cooper is the actor. I'd like you to name me what you think the totals are for The Hangover and his movie Aloha. <laughs> Oh, um, I'm going to say around 275 plus, well, let's say three, 305, 310. Which one are you choosing? Fine, 305. 305. Okay, Aaron, what about you? So the combined totals of The Hangover and Aloha. That's correct, yes. Okay. Okay. That had $305 million. <laughs> God, did Aloha do worse than that? Probably. Um, I, I will say, I will say two ninety five. Two ninety five. Okay. All right. The answer is two hundred ninety eight million. Ooh. Aaron, Ooh. you get that point. <laughs> yeah. Sneaking I lost in. the showcase showdown. Good job by you, Aaron. <laughs> oh boy. 
Uh, you also get to go first in the next one here for Dave Bautista. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what the total is for Blade Runner 2049 and Hotel Artemis? Hotel Artemis. That's a movie that has a lot of good stuff in it. I can't Jody remember. Jodie Foster's we... best work in yeah, a while. Good stuff in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, Jodie Foster. Yeah, she's like the, the nurse that runs she's it. the right? nurse, yeah. Um, okay. Night so, nurse. Okay, so Hotel Artemis. That made like $3. Um... Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you, me, okay. and Scott went to go see it at least two times. Hotel Artemis. Let's be generous and say they made like 18. <laughs> um, so let me round that up to 20. And now, the, what's the other one? Sorry. Blade Runner 2049. Blade Run- Jesus. Blade Runner 2049, a movie that did famously uh, bad um, domestically. Did that even get to 100? Probably. Maybe. Scott knows his answer and he's grinning like a maniac right I now. Know, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to. Hmm. I'm going to need an answer. I'm going to. I'm working it out. I'm going to say. I'm going to say 122. 122. Okay. Scott, what do you think Hotel Artemis and Blade Runner 2049? I think Blade Runner 2049 made 92 million domestic. Okay. And Artemis, I'm going to say, honestly, I don't remember, but I think you're being clever. And so I'm going to say 8 million for exactly 100 million. 100 million. Scott, the answer was 98.7 million. Wow. You get that. Yeah. How much did Blade Runner make? Blade Runner made 92 million, like what Scott said. Okay. Wow, Artemis did that bad. Okay. And yeah. Artemis made $6.7 million. Wow, I was being way too generous. You <laughs> were. Scott, you got to go first in the next one here. Palm Clementif, Thor Love and Thunder, and Old Boy. I, I knew you were going to say Old Boy. <laughs> Jesus. Who's she an Old Boy? She plays like Charlotte Copley's like assistant. Yeah. She's a for, oh, okay. for her spell. Neat. Oh, <laughs> uh, fuck. Love and Thunder and Old Boy. Carry the three. <laughs> I'm going to say 360. 360. Aaron, what about you? Old Boy did not make a lot of money. 18 would be generous again. So let's see. Let me dial that. How much did Thor Love and Thunder make? Which Scott knows. Um... He says three. He said three sixty. Is that what he yep. said? Yeah, that's what he said. Okay. Um, I call three fifty. Three five zero. The answer is three hundred forty-five million dollars. Okay, and you get that point. All right. Wait, 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 wait. Thunder, How much was it? Three four three for Thor: Eleventh Thunder, and then two point one million for Old Boy. Wow. Oh God. <laughs> so Scott, so you were I over. Say? You were overestimating Old Boy, maybe. Ooh. Uh, Aaron, you got to go first in the next one here for Karen Gillian, Gillian. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, the first one, mm. and Stuber. Oh, she's in Stuber. I completely forgot. She is. Oh, yeah, she's like her his partner. <laughs> Jumanji, gosh, that that like was a record breaker for Sony. I have to think of this. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Mm-hmm. But like, what's it? But like, uh, God. Okay, because it made like almost a billion worldwide. You're really but... helping Scott out when you're... He knows <laughs> these answers. I'm, I'm the one that has to work Look, this out. This needs to be said a big one to the penny. It's just the other ones that I don't know, and that's uh, how you're winning this. Okay, so okay, so what's what's the other one? Sorry? Stuber. Stuber. Um, <laughs> Great movie, by the way. Yeah, yeah, we, we're, we're, like this, we, this podcast is pro-Stuber. Yeah. We know this. But, um, <laughs> but, that, Batista, but that didn't do well. Like, I'll... I'll say I'll I'll use the eighteen again on Stuber. So what did Jumanji make? 
it's like a billion worldwide. How much of that could have been? I'll hmm, like high threes. And you need an answer. Four ten. Four one zero. Scott, what do you think it made? Uh Jumanji made about four hundred and four million. Okay. Oh, maybe I'm great and with this. I don't think Stuber made more than twenty five. Okay. So what would that be? Uh four hundred and thirty. But you're I'm going be higher than Aaron? No, four oh four plus twenty. It'd be for, let's say four twenty five. Four two five. Scott, the answer is four hundred and twenty six million dollars. So you oh. win that point. <laughs> Manji made exactly four hundred and four million. So good job, Scott. Thank you. Stuber, twenty two million. Okay. So Scott is just knocking this out, but it's tied two two. Yeah, it's tied. I'm I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Scott, you get to go first in the next one here. Vin Diesel was the group. Triple X, and Babylon AD. <laughs> this. They, they gave they gave money back back for get battle on AD right. We apologize for your viewing. So the answer is lower than the score for triple X. Um, <laughs> I gotta say, I don't remember exactly how much triple X made. I know it what it opened to. I know what the budget is, and offhand, I know the global gross, but I don't remember exactly what it did domestically. I'll, I'll take your best guess. Fuck. I'm going to say uh, 120 total. 120 total. Aaron, what about you? Okay. Um, Babylon 80. Well, that's like a buck and change, too. So that's like negligible. <laughs> it's like, um, but that opened like late August. So that's like that, you know, like oh, 6 million. Um, so let's go 6 million. So with triple X opens big enough. Probably clears a hundred, maybe barely. I think it's probably like front loaded. One oh, so what's Scott say? One twenty something. He's a one twenty, one two zero. Okay, I will say one oh, one twelve, one twelve. The group. Uh, you should have gone higher, Scott. You get that point. It's one hundred sixty four. Okay, what? So Triple X made one hundred forty one million. Oh, I Babylon was AD twenty two point five million. Oh wow, okay. Jesus. So Diesel yeah. had some pull in August, apparently. Yeah, oh, so this looks fun. That point, the movie's terrible. <laughs> it's, in, it's like the Snowman, where it's incomplete. The snowman, like, Babylon it, AD. Yeah, it's I've like an never in, seen it. It's like an incomplete movie. Like it, it feels like a movie. They're probably like, hoping for Babylon AD. You know, year thirty five. I believe the director, what's his name, who did Lahane? Uh, like it's Lahane like, <laughs> uh, Matt Matthew Katzovitz. Um, like I believe. Wow. He, he was famous. He, like on the day it came out, he was tweeting all over. It's like this. I had a terrible time with this. It was awful. This is the worst experience I had as a filmmaker. Like he was <laughs> very open remember. about that. Wow. And I believe it's similar to like the snowman where the director said, we didn't get to film 20% of the screenplay. Um, I believe the AD is similar to that where like they edited out like stuff that would make the movie make wow. sense. It's a oh, did I tell you that when I was in Vegas, uh, Wendy accidentally watched the snowman with Allison oh, and was confused by why it was so like mediocre. Dark. Mediocre. That's a mediocre. Word. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Agreed. Uh, okay. Moving on here. This makes sense since Triple X has sequels. Like obviously, it should have made. Yeah, money. I, mean, I, it, it's, <laughs> I was always puzzled by the perception that it was a flop because it opened huge mm-hmm. and it did like two fifty, give or take, on a ninety budget, which isn't uh-huh. a blowout, but it's good. Pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, people just don't know how to read the Xander Zone. Yeah. Well, the next one true, here, true. and you get to go first. 
uh, Chris Pratt, Jurassic Park or Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, and Jim and the Holograms. This is me. This is you. Jurassic this World. This is us. Uh, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Fallen okay, so Kingdom. So the second one. Okay. Yeah. I think that's like four hundred something. I don't, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna say four thirty. Just gonna okay. throw that out there. Um, because like the world is like six hundred. It's nuts. Um, okay. So for, if I'm if I'm going with four thirty, uh-huh. going with Gem and the Holograms, a movie where they gave you handshakes in exchange for tickets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're never getting invited to those premieres again. I'm gonna say four thirty five. Four three five. Scott, what about you? Well, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom did 417 domestic. Oh, okay. Gem and the holograms really bad. So I'm gonna <laughs> say 425. I'm gonna wait, let me think about that. Four seven. Okay. Fuck it. Let me go exact. I think they're like five million dollars or something like that. All so right. I guess that'd be like four twenty-three. Four two three. Well, Scott, you are closest. It is uh, four hundred and nineteen million. Okay. You Ooh. nailed Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom with four hundred and seventeen. Jim and the Holograms, $2.1 million. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, Chris Pratt was great in it, though. I mean... Dwayne Chris... Johnson's finest hour. <laughs> uh, they were. They, they should make more movies together based on their work in Jim and the Holograms. <laughs> <laughs> great title. Uh, Scott, you get to go first in the next one here. Will Poulter, We're the Millers, and Midsommar. Fuck. <sighs> I know where the Millers was ridiculous. Oh, you know what? Okay, yeah, I can do this. Okay. Divide by six. Two ten. Two ten. Yeah. Two one zero. Scott or Aaron, what about you? Okay, so now I got to go with not knowing the exact numbers. Let's see here. <laughs> we are the Millers did make money. Did it cross a hundred? I want to say it probably like wagged its way to like close to ninety, if not over a hundred. Okay. So let's say it's like one ten. Um, and then what's this? They have Midsommar, like the third best A24 movie. Is that accurate, Scott? Like something like that? Uh, uh yes. Okay, so what would that be? Hereditary is like maybe 50 to <laughs> maybe 60. <laughs> um, so Midsommar also a success for its scale. Would I say 110? So plus what? And Scott says 210? 210. Gosh, you know something more than I do. <laughs> Where the Millers probably made more than I'm saying it did. Okay, I'm gonna say 180. 180. Aaron, you get that you point. Win. I way overshot Midsummer. Midsummer, 27 million. Okay. Where the Millers, 150 million. Okay, yeah, so that did Total make money. 177. Okay. Yeah. All right. Aaron, you get that one. Cool. I, I for some and it, as you were saying, like, why the fuck did I overdo that? Because again, yeah. right. The biggest A24 is like, other than everything everywhere, is like, excuse me, uncut gems with like 50 million. Why the yeah. fuck was I? Anyway, carry on. It's okay. It's okay. You're still in the lead, four to three. Aaron, you get to go first in this one. Zoe Saldana, uh, Star Trek Beyond. Oh, boy. And My Little Pony, the movie. Oh, what? fuck that. Damn. <laughs> uh, Scott keeps that chart like a poster on his wall of how much that movie made. Um, Let's see here. Okay, Star Trek Beyond, I believe, one. underperformed. Those first Star Trek, like, they all did progressively worse, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe the Darkness did, like, exactly. Okay, Beyond. God, that was probably, like, number nine on our Summer Gamble that year or something like that, too. So let's say if it gets if it gets to, like, seven at most, let's say that's, like, 170. Okay. 
So if we say like 170, maybe it's lower, but let's say 170, My Little Pony. Well, that's that that's obviously 800 million right there. So what's that? Nine? <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously. Okay, I'm gonna say 175. 175. Okay, what about you, Scott? Oh, yet. Okay, I mean, Star Trek Beyond made 158 domestic. That oh, pretty I close. Okay. Vaguely remember. But how much did My Little Pony do? Let's see, 158 plus. I like to envision that Scott is like has like a giant calculator, like you know those those um. It, yeah, it's, 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 it's a calculator. It's an yeah. abacus inside of like a <laughs> pelican abacus. from like Flintstones times. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm gonna say, I think it did like 20 million, give or take. So let's just okay. round up and say 180. 180. Oh, close guesses. Wow, these are very close. The answer is 179 million. So Scott, oh, you get Scott that answer. by a dollar. <laughs> yeah. Uh Star Trek Beyond Scott, you hit it around the head, 158. My little pony, 21 million dollars. 21.8 million dollars. I'm just gonna say I'm I'm impressed with myself on this. You, one, yeah, you should be proud of yourself. <laughs> oh, you should be. That was pretty good. <laughs> uh Scott, you get a first in this next one here. Linda Cardellini, Scooby Doo, and the curse of La Llorona. Shit. Um, that be definitely in the Conjuring universe. <laughs> he's, he's sure. Uh, two. I'm gonna say two ten. Two one zero. Aaron, what about you? Probably overshooting uh, the second one, but whatever. Fuck, fuck if I know. Let's see. Scooby Doo. Let's. I don't know. Let's say that made 150. Okay. They made a sequel. Um, it opened well. It's Scooby Doo. Like you know, this is the first time we did it. That's why we shouldn't be underrating Barbie. I like this stalling. Um, it's one fifty, and then what's the other, what's the other one? The curse of the La curse Yorona. of La Llorona. La where she plays Yorona. a mother whose children are being haunted by this Mexican spirit. It didn't do terrible. Let's see, one fifty. Let's say like tops at four. Okay, one ninety. One nine zero. Scott, the answer was two hundred seven million dollars. So you yes! get that one. I knew Scooby Doo made around one fifty, and I yeah. figured Conjuring did over under fifty five or whatever. That's basically it. Opened, it yeah, because it opened at twenty four, and you know, it wasn't super. So I just undershot La Llorona. That was pretty. You close. did, yeah. Right. yeah. Scooby Doo one fifty three. Yeah, Scooby Doo broke the record for a June opening weekend when it opened in June of twenty two thousand two. People love people love that fifty three million dollars. Yeah, they love his writing. Uh, and then the I don't of care. Generational reclamation. That film sucked then, and it sucks now. I thought people stand up for two more. Yeah, because at least that was what it was intended to be from the start. Well, it's more James Gunn, right? That too. But I mean, it's it's. I mean, you know the Scooby Doo. You know, I haven't seen either of them. So, if you're not missing anything, first of all, yeah. Um, Anyway, Uh, Crystal, you're in a fifty-four million. So basically, uh, Scott, you're right, fifty-five. Aaron, you got to go first. Next one, just two more here. Elizabeth Dubecky, Dubecky, Uh Dubecky, Great Gatsby. Uh huh. And Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Oh, okay. Well, that's hurting me. Let's see. Great Gatsby uh-huh. does well for a second May weekend release. I like that you know these release dates. Well, because that's it's that Warner Brothers like we keep choosing the second weekend of May for some reason. <laughs> and I can't believe <laughs> one it time again. It yeah, it's like oh, we put <laughs> we put Leo in it. That was our goal all along. <laughs> But like, how big of a success is that? Like, it's certainly surprised. Does it get past two hundred? 
maybe let's yeah <laughs> let's, let me read the blank screen of scott mendelson on here um okay so let's say it does like conservative let's say two well no because worldwide i think it's like 300 jesus christ what is it let's see great gatsby let me say i don't know 160 okay but so then what's what's the other one the valerian in the city valerian valerian vastly underperforms because people are stupid um so (laughs) so, i said one six so let's let let me say 200 even 200 even scott what about you i was fuck i was gonna guess 200 um (laughs) (laughs) that's okay uh great gas One ninety nine, one ninety nine. Scott, because you went under, you get this point. Yes, it is one eighty five. Okay, okay. Great Gatsby, one hundred forty five million. Oh, nailed it! All right, <laughs> and Valerian, forty million. I so went high on Gatsby a little bit. Yeah, yeah you went I, high a little. I, bit. I, was, I was thinking like one sixty Gatsby. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, I went one fifty Gatsby. Yeah, well, you guys are very good at this, and the last one here. Uh, Aaron, you went first with Scott. You get to go last, uh, first in this last one here. Sylvester Stallone plays Ravager. Uh, Creed 2 and Get Carter. Get Carter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at that poster. It's black and white. He's got a gun, sunglasses. I mean, um, 135. 135. What about you, Aaron? By the yeah, way, I just wanted to shout out. Very decisive, Scott. He might Very what? Decisive. Very okay. I, yeah. What's the first one? <laughs> it's not. Trust Creed, me. Creed two. Creed two. The second one. Creed, Creed two. two does well enough, but like Creeds aren't like blowout hit. They're just like worldwide. They do better. Okay, so yeah, I'll give but, you a hint. It does better than Creed. <sighs> okay. What's Scott say? One thirty-five. One thirty-five. Yep. Okay. Get Carter. God, Stallone. <laughs> one thirty-five. Um, one twenty-five. One two five. Because you went lower, you get the point, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is one hundred and thirty million. Uh, Creed two, one hundred fifteen. Get Carter, fifteen million. Okay. Uh, obviously, overshot. Get Carter by five million dollars. <laughs> I well. Scott, even though you undershot that overshot that last one, you still are the winner of this week's game, seven to four in box office math. Good game. Good job from you guys. Good game. Yeah. I enjoyed that quite a bit. <laughs> I honed in on I honed in on on the uh the guest specialty, which allows that here. And it's just Scott, right? <laughs> this is the seat of my pants guessing on what I know about the box office. This is good. It's pretty like good. Yeah. I mean, you did very well. All right. Uh, no, I mean, I had a huge advantage that I generally knew the big one, like, to the penny. This is why I had to choose, that... like, a really weird, obscure story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't feel bad if Triple X is the only one where I'm not, like, like I'm somewhat, like, way off base on how much money it means. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, good game, Abe. Let's move on now. Let's get to some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where I go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash out now podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners, and they gave us some answers. Uh, so let's do this. First question here is, what are some good films that deal with animal cruelty in some way? Chris Cleveland writes Blackfish, the documentary, and Okja. Uh, Jeff Mendez writes Black Beauty and the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy. 
Michael Lee, friend of the show, has Free Willy. Ted Lee Manel has King Kong. Luke White Thompson, also friend of the show, has Gummo. And Philip Heard has Isle of Dogs and Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind anime. Films dealing with animal cruelty. Kind of, sort of, babe, big in the city. Well, that was another one where the internet or whatever that internet was back in 1988 made it seem like there was this horrific, horribly intense movie about animal violence, and really it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. I'm going to say Scream, just because there was a story that Wes Craven was telling Drew Barrymore about animal cruelty to get her to perform really well in that opening <laughs> sequence. <laughs> All right. Um, I <laughs> Beethoven. Okay. Beethoven. Um, okay. <laughs> he made sequels. Uh, all right. Next question. What are your favorite films featuring talking animals? Chris writes the babe. witch. <laughs> Chris writes the witch and Rango. Philip has Whisper of the Heart and Kiki's Delivery Service. Love Philip, anime. You, get it. you like yeah. anime. <laughs> uh, favorite films featuring talking animals. Scott says babe. This is babe. Um uh Fantastic Mr. Fox. That's a good one. I mean, Vulpus Vulpus. Uh, <laughs> uh, talking animals. I mean, humans are talking animals, so all of them. There you go. Nailed it. Yeah. Next question here. What are some great films centered around a rescue mission? Chris Lander has The Martian, Aliens, and You Were Never Really Here. That was a very, very strange oh. set of movies. <laughs> Family-friendly movies. Yeah. Justin Weatherby writes Black Hawk Down, Back to the Future Part 3, Aliens, and Apollo 13. Philip has Bone Tomahawk and Isle of Dogs. And Marie Cohen writes The Poseidon Adventure, the original. All right. Rescue mission movies. Rescue mission movies. Um, uh, Predator. Yeah. I mean, it starts as a rescue mission. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then Arnold finds out that they put them all in the meat grinder. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> put them in the meat grinder. Yeah. <laughs> you set us up. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, Commando going on Schwarzenegger themes. Yeah. Scott, which Schwarzenegger rescue film do you want to choose? <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> Eraser. Sure, Eraser. That's Why a good not? one. <laughs> Your luggage. Okay. <laughs> that should be on our commentary list. We should just sure. be doing Arnold Schwarzenegger movies for all ranches going forward right now for this for this edition. <laughs> Okay, what are some recent films of great soundtracks? The last uh, action hero. Um, Jeff, Jeff Mendez writes Baby Driver and Deadpool. Chris has my first thought was also Baby Driver. I'll also add Atomic Blonde and How to Talk to Girls at Parties. Oh, and nearly forgot Straight Outta Compton. Oh. And Philip has, that's right, your name. Hey, all right, <laughs> Philip. Great movie soundtracks. Um, recent films are great movie soundtracks. Yeah, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Uh, I really like Atomic Blonde's soundtrack. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, I After Sun is not like a very uh, pop, you know, heavy. It's movie, got choice tracks. Some, yeah, they've yeah. got some like good eighties, nineties songs in there. Um, it was like recent ones with like big whatever Edgar Wright was doing. So last night in Soho, there <laughs> whatever, you go. whatever his latest that, movie was. Yeah. yeah, whatever his latest movie was, that's one of my favorite soundtracks. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Well, the next question here is, what Guardians character would you like to see get their own spinoff? Justin Witherby writes... None! <laughs> Justin Witherby writes... Scott Mendelson for the show writes none. Uh, Justin Witherby writes, uh, definitely Rocket, Gamora, and Nebula's backstory. Uh, Todd Limonow has Howard the Duck, 
Jordan Grant, friend of the show, has a collector. Mark Hoban, friend of the show, has uh, let's go with prehistory of Aisha, portrayed by Elizabeth Dubecki, and let's cast Tilda Swinton as her estranged sister, Kara. I have no knowledge of Aisha's familial connections, but what if a scenario will uh, occur? They don't get along naturally. Lots of soap stopper shenanigans that <laughs> would make succession look like a children's birthday party. There is a massive showdown in the end where Hella, Kate Blanchett, is revealed to be the mother of both, and now she must t- make a Sophie's choice between the two of them. Mark, this is phenomenal. Write this story. I will pay it for myself. I will give it to Matt Damon and Ben Affleck from their new, new movie studio, and let's all private share. Quite the pitch. <laughs> yeah, this, he wrote all of it. This, this is a free podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Spinoff. Uh, well, we're living Sylvester Stallone, so that. Okay, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So he's already yeah, getting his, part two. Yeah. his spinoff. <laughs> it's just his life when he's not <laughs> ravaging in space. <laughs> Got it. Now, Scott said none, so okay. He said uh, none. Yeah. Who are some great villains featuring neat, neat makeup design? Tyler Smith, friend of the show, writes Darkness from Legend. Oh. I believe not friend of the show, Ooh. also says Darkness from Legend. Yeah, Brandon Peters, friend of the show, says Emperor Palpatine from specifically Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <Somehow> he came <laughs> back. <laughs> Somehow he returned. Damn it, Pete. Damn it, Brandon. <laughs> uh, Justin Weatherby, good to hear from him, writes Mystique from X-Men. Yeah. Um, and Philip, and specifically the Romaine version of Mystique, just if you wanted to point that out. And Philip has future cannibal Hugh Grant in, he, in Cloud Atlas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Hey, you know, speaking of makeup design, they actually have really good makeup design in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be lazy and say the Joker. Sure. Heard of him. Yeah. Uh, any and all, frankly. Um, there you go. Villains yeah. with neat makeup does uh, whatever Mike Myers is doing in an Austin Powers movie. There's a lot of neat makeup going on there. Oh, okay. Oh, never mind. Strat that answer's stupid. Scratch that answer. Okay. Vincent D'Onofrio and Men in Black. That's my answer. That is. Oh, I mean, ah, we got a big bug walking around with an edger suit. Uh, um, that's a great answer. I love that. I love that performance. I got so I got my haircut today, and I was at my barber shop, and they had the TVs on, and Men in Black was playing. It's like God, uh, this performance. Like I'm watching like five minutes of the movie. It's like this performance is everything. This is such a great performance. <laughs> yeah, it really is. He should have. Uh, he should be more quirky characters. But should be hey, a, a re- yeah, <laughs> should be a retroactive Oscar for Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> <laughs> we should start that category. We know how good we had it. <laughs> yeah. The last question here for everybody is: What superhero films use the best cinematography? Todd Libina has The Rocketeer. Jeff Mendez has Thor colon Ragnarok. And Jeff Mendez also writes in and says, V for Vendetta and The Dark Knight. Best cinematography or superhero film? I'm going to say The Iron Giant. Oh. Seems cheap. Um, animation, but all right. <laughs> I mean, I'm inclined to be lazy and say Batman, re- Batman Returns. Yeah. Returns. Mm-hmm. But if we can go slightly more recent i would say i mean we just aquaman looks fucking fantastic and while i have issues with the film batman v superman is gorgeous um yeah okay i mean like those dark knight films <laughs> no one knows what he's doing with the cinematography yeah. in those so it's hard to like argue against them so i put that on like its own pedestal mm-hmm. um I mean, Bill Pope's crushing it on the Spider-Man movies. I mean, like, I'll say yeah. that. I'll put that out there for just give some Raimi some love. Okay, well, that's enough feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Dave. You can find more of my work, my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I write all my re- movie reviews at why- welibentertainment.com and my Blu-ray and Criterion reviews over at Why So Blue. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Oh, and of course, mm-hmm. the summer of 93 at 30 is currently boom, boom, boom. playing on everywhere you can find podcasts, which Scott 
and myself and Brandon Peters all and uh, on YouTube and on and on YouTube. Yes. Uh, Abe, you can find more fun stuff over my Instagram, Abe.mua and Twitter.com slash Willard Smooth. Hashtag, are we pretending to be mad again? <laughs> Scott Mendelson, where can people find more of you? Uh, the rap.com. And I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. You can find all the other episodes about now with their name on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HSWLOD. Feel free to email us at outnotpockets at gmail.com. Check out our Facebook, facebook.com slash outpodcast, or check out our Twitter, twitter.com slash outnot underscore podcast. And of course, our Instagram page, instagram.com slash underscore podcast as well. Uh, Scott, thank you very much for joining us this thank week. Thank you, Scott. Uh, you're very welcome. A pleasure. Uh, next week, we'll be talking uh, Robert Rodriguez's latest film, Hypnotic, Ooh. featuring the Dark Knight's William Fickner and Ben Affleck. Original friend of the show, Bill Fickner? Exactly, exactly. Original friend of the show, Bill Fickner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I- I'm looking forward. I mean, it's not going to make a minute at the box office, but I'm gonna. I'm still <laughs> looking forward to a new Rodriguez movie, so I'm it's all for that. certainly interesting, considering it's release history or whatever the hell is going by on. By no studio? <laughs> yeah, it's like a studio that I've never heard of that apparently but, is already bankrupt. Well, let's hope oh. for the best, but regardless, that's going to do it for this week's episode, so until next time, so long. And bye. Bye.